The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guests and hosts. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. Hey there. Welcome to another action-packed, shitty edition of the Very Poorly Made Police Podcast. I'm your host, Lenny. How the fuck are you guys? I hope you guys are all doing well in this uh, cold, terrible month they call January, where you can't fucking do anything outside because it's fucking awful outside, and I'm not bitter about it. This episode, I have uh, good friends of the podcast, regular contributors to the podcast, people that I abuse their time frequently. I have Saul, and I have uh, Riley up from Canada. We have a new uh, Canadian slur to debut for him, so I think you guys will enjoy that. And uh, a guest appearance by Pizza Tony. This is uh, more of a topic-based podcast. There was a couple things that uh, came up in the group chat regarding uh, some FTO stuff. And then also uh, after police life type stuff that came up that Saul has a little bit of uh, experience with. And so he breaks that down for us and uh, crushes some dreams. And then uh, I got a few quick rants from my uh, trip of the South that hopefully are enlightening. But before we get into the podcast, big, huge, awesome thanks to our good friends over at OfficerPrivacy.com. They've made each and every one of the Sunday podcasts possible for you. We got something exciting coming up in February, so stand by for that. But uh, I always talk about, hey, don't wait until something happens to you. And just the other day... I got a message from uh, one of the regular listeners. He's like, dude, I listen to every podcast, and I'm the guy you talk about. I'm the guy that you talk about waiting to sign up for officer privacy, and then something happens. And he said, I got docs. I have all this bad stuff going on. And you know, now he's behind the eight ball, and now you know he's getting signed up now. It's better to have it before than uh, when something, God forbid, happens, and now you're behind the eight ball trying to uh, protect your identity. So... That is why I uh, always encourage you to uh, sign up for Officer Privacy. I'm a paying customer. And if you're uh, new to the podcast, what Officer Privacy does, they remove you from people search sites. There's a lot of reasons that's great. You know, you arrest somebody. They don't like your service. They look your information up and cause havoc at your house. You're involved in some kind of critical incident. We haven't seen that happen before, right? And uh, the fiery yet peaceful protesters show up at your house because your information is just there. These people search sites, in my opinion, are uh, ridiculous, and I don't know why we let them even exist, but they do, so you need to take the uh, measures to protect yourself with officerprivacy.com. All right, with that, let's play some tunes. I don't know, I'm I'm complaining about the cold weather, and I'm a little down. We might have just played this the other day, but I'm going to play it again. 
We're going to play a, a cover of Alice in Chains by our good friend Uncle Bird. I'll be right back to the podcast. Yet I find, yet I find repeating in my head If I can't be my own I'd feel better Hey there. Welcome to another edition of the Very Poorly Made Police Podcast. In fact, the first one recorded in this fine year of 2024 so far. I have with me two members of the prestigious Council of Tobies. I have all the way from the highest of Rocky Mountains, because that John Denver is full of shit. I have better call motherfucking Saul. How are you, buddy? What up, mofos? And then... Coming in in corner number two, how are you now? I have Riley from Canada. Happy to be here. Are you sure about that? You sound real fucking excited. I, I'm all discombobulated. I need you to fucking I'm, step I'm it up a little bit, all right? I'm fucking stoked. How's that? Okay. You sound really excited to be here. By the way, uh, I'm just throwing it out there. I got a couple quick housekeeping things before we get into our topics today. Um, one of those being... I'm uh, I'm a big fan of new slurs for Canadians, so feel free to send those in as you think of them or hear them. Uh, I told Riley about this after our New Year's podcast. My brother had sent me a message, and he said whenever he worked with Canadians out on the oil field, he would call them frostbacks, which I thought was fantastic. I can honestly say I have never heard that one. I'm open to new things, so. You know, I always liked... Um, hearing new things for cops you know you get tired of like the pigs or whatever donut eater wh- whatever 50 uh fuck 12 all that stuff occasionally you'd hear some good ones like i i know i heard a few i can't think of any and i know pizza tony would be really excited uh me telling this story because it's a a mall cop story from my my prior life but I had a guy call me 2.5 there once, and I was like, dude, that's the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard. That was that was well done. I feel As like in I just like half a cop. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty like, good. Yeah, yeah. It was good. Um, all right. So I alluded to it, uh, a couple housekeeping things. Uh, we have a couple topics lined up, and I'm sure we'll go off um on some wild rants based on those those topics with my friends here. First and foremost, um, I've kind of talked over the last couple weeks, uh, months about like format changes. I don't know, whatever. Still kind of working on that. I, I, I've kind of thought I had a, a couple weeks on a road trip to really think about the podcast and uh, for hours of hours of driving when my kids screamed, it was great. Um, but in between those screams and uh, pulling over to beat the shit out of them, I, uh, I decided that I I do like the idea of just kind of asking people about their careers and what they've seen and done. I think we need to really stick to that because there's not a ton of opportunities for guys to kind of get their story out there. So we'll, we'll probably stick with that a little bit. Uh, You know, keep doing these topic things every once in a while, but I am going to try because I like to rant and I still need to get that off my chest every once in a while. 
probably most podcasts at the beginning, I'm going to have something to rant about. But today's rant is uh, a little, couple couple things happened on the trip that uh, I wanted to talk about and kind of get your your thoughts on them. The first thing is uh, I I have an apology to make. I'm I'm not often wrong, um, except frequently. And on a podcast a long long time ago, early in season one, it was uh, or maybe it was season two. I don't remember, but in the early days, uh, a long time ago, I had a guy from Kentucky on the podcast. He also runs a little meme page. You may have heard of it. Disorderly LE conduct. Great dude. Awesome page. Go check him out. I was making fun of mountains. And I said, the mountains aren't real mountains there in Kentucky. And only Colorado has the mountains. I was gatekeeping the mountains. Well, I took a trip, was in a little bit of the uh, Southern parts of Appalachia. I was wrong. There are in fact mountains in Kentucky and I want to apologize to all the people I deeply offended by that. So that is the uh, the first thing. My humble apologies to the people on the eastern part of the country. You do have mountains. While you may not have uh, Timberline, you do have mountains. I highly recommend everybody go check those out. Part two. I went to Bojangles. It's been talked about a lot in the podcast. Never been there. I wasn't super impressed. Have any of you guys had Bojangles? Is it a gas station or like a Denny's? It's it's uh it's like a chicken place. It's like chicken restaurant. Oh, no clue. I, okay, uh, Bojangles. It's a it's like a fast food chicken restaurant. There turns out it turns out there's a lot of fast food chicken restaurants in the South. I'm not inferring anything. We went to a place called Zaxby's. That place is fucking tits. I highly recommend Zaxby's. Fan fucking tastic. Um, I do not recommend crystals. Have you guys ever heard of a crystals? No, there's an yeah. adult shop named crystals near my house. Hey, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, this one's crystals with a K, which is also a little suspicious in the South, you know, and, uh, it's basically That's only if it has three K's. Oh, okay. Uh, it is basically the, uh, it, it, what the hell's the place with the sliders? Uh, White Castle. Love White Castle. Um, did not love Crystals. It was in a, a suburb of Knoxville, and it was very shitty. It reminded me of, uh, if you guys are familiar with the uh, Colfax Corridor in Colorado, there were bums. There was uh, liquor containers in the parking lot. It was not good. Not quite the ambiance I was hoping for. The food was uh, subpar. So I would not recommend crystals based on my, my one interaction there. So there's that. I had another observation while I was in the South. I saw a few Confederate flags flying. Are you guys surprised by that at all? What was the context? Like, where were they being flown? In front of people's houses. And are these, like, the type of houses that, like, have wheels? Or, like... See where there's multiple got, cars on multiple cars on the, the driver. Heart, you got to the heart of my point. Um, you don't get to weigh in on our civil war, you fucking Canuck. <laughs> Stay out of this hoser. I'm just disappointed you went to Knoxville, Tennessee, and I didn't get a picture of the Sun Sphere. Okay, that's weird that you know what that is, and I we didn't. We drove by and we're like, "What's that?" Have you? I I've thought you were Simpsons guy. Never even heard of that. What is, is that it? in a Simpsons episode? 
there's a whole Simpsons episode where Bart uh, gets a fake ID and then gets uh, rents a car and they end up in Knoxville, Tennessee, and they want to see the sun sphere. No shit. Uh, we did it's drive one, by. It's, it's during the good, it's, and it's during like the good seasons, like when most people our age would have watched it. Sorry, Saul. I don't. Oh, you're good. I just never heard been there. Well, I I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I did drive right by it. Uh, you can pay money to go in it, but it was a. I think I want to say we were there around New Year's Day or so, so it was closed somewhere in the. It was. I don't remember exactly what day, but I, I don't think it was open the day we went by. Uh, drove by uh the football stadium there where the great Peyton Manning played. By the way, we happened to be in uh Tuscaloosa during our trip and drove by uh where Alabama plays. That's a fucking ginormous stadium in the middle of this like pretty small city. Not like a tiny city, but like it's weird seeing such a massive I almost said a massive erection, but a a massive stadium there. I, I actually drove through that campus. It was pretty pretty nice little campus there in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You know, they're all fucking their sisters and cousins and sister wives and stuff, but it was pretty neat, you know? Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Speaking of Roll Tide, Confederate flags, you know, it, it's kind of funny just driving by the places I saw the Confederate flag. It was never a nice estate, you know, never a nice house. Um, it was always trailers, dilapidated buildings, things like that. Not really a strong look for the South there. Um, but I, I thought that was kind of a, a funny observation that there, you know, you just, you didn't see it flying at a nice place. It was always at a, uh, dump. So my wife is from as far South in Mississippi as you can get. And we were back there for a wedding and my, one of my undergraduate degrees is in history. I love American history. So near Biloxi is the Beauvoir house, the Jefferson Davis house. And they have a museum there. You can walk the grounds. It's right across from the Gulf. Um, and you can go into the gift shop. And I had to fight so hard not to buy this. But they had a bumper sticker that was the Confederate flag. And all it said underneath was fighting terrorists since 19 or fighting terrorists since 1861. And I about peed myself. I was laughing so hard. I was like, you guys have got to let that go. But it's fun down there because a lot of those guys still call it the war of northern aggression. (laughs) (laughs) It all all makes me so happy. You know, we went to, uh, are you familiar with Vicksburg, Mississippi, Saul? And why that's Vicksburg? No. Oh, I'm American history, but blah, blah. that's okay. I'm just giving shit. I didn't know anything about it either. Oh, I've so, heard of Vicksburg. I've never been there. Oh, okay. Well, so Vicksburg, um, and you're the history buff here, so you tell me if I'm wrong. Was uh, the victory there by the Union was was kind of a turning point in the war, and you know access to the Mississippi and, and all that stuff, right? We went. Uh, there's a military park there, and they have a uh, a boat that sank. Uh, I, it was cool. It's it's kind of a I can't even describe it, but it, like basically an old civil warship that sank um on the Mississippi or one of the tributaries there that they drug out of the mug mud in the sixties and brought it up and which was really interesting. But you know, we so we went to the museum there and there's military park there and it was this wasn't something I'd plan on talking about on the podcast, but I you know, as we're going kind of point to point on this thing, kind of reading some of the signs, you know, kind I kinda of was overcame with like fuck man. 
so many people died here on this battlefield and just kids man like all the people on either side i'm sure were pretty young dudes you know whole life ahead of them kind of thing uh and i get it it's war like that's the thing and I, and i know many of the listeners that listen to this podcast have been part of a war and you know i've been overseas and stuff and it i've seen that firsthand but man it's a, i don't know i i don't know why um but it really really hit me there but that that's a cool place if you're uh on a road trip, probably a little cooler without kids to have a little more time to slow down and, and read things because they get bored and they don't care about history as much. But uh, definitely an interesting place is uh, Vicksburg, Vicksburg, Mississippi. Just for the record, everything's cooler without kids. Uh, I may have made a joke to uh, one of my good buddies. He was asking how the trip went. And I said, dude, it was, it was all right, but I'm pro abortion now. Probably a little too far, but um don't me wrong. Had fun with the kids. A couple weeks in the car is a long time with, with four kids. I'm just saying. Not that I don't have kids are great. Kids are fun. It's awesome. Have as many kids as you want. Anyway. A couple uh, minutes in the car is a long time with four kids. Yeah. There were, there were moments. I'd strap them to the roof like Aunt Edna. <laughs> I, I didn't get that reference. Who's that? Wasn't that Granny? Isn't that a Beverly Hillbillies reference? Oh, um, wow. That's dating yourself. It's that's from it. vacation. You uncultured humans. I don't think that's, I've seen the original vacation. Oh, you're both making me cry. I hope everybody is screaming at the radio right now. I'm sad and depressed, but go on. They go to Wally World, right? Yes, they do. And okay. they get into it John with John Candy's Candy. There. Yes, World. I remember that part. I don't remember... You don't remember him strapping Aunt Edna up to the roof after she dies? Holy fuck, no. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's been a while since I watched that movie, I guess. I've seen it. I just I don't remember that part, apparently. You give me tears in my soul. Sorry about that. Um, just a couple more things, and I swear we'll talk about stuff that people care about. Uh, this is kind of on the poop conversation. Um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of controversy with the, uh, oh, I got two things about the poop thing. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy, you know, surrounding standing and sitting and, and we're going to keep, we're going to keep, you know, polling the people because we need to know for science, you know, we're really leading the, uh, the world in this kind of research. But I was, uh, I was at a, uh, I think it was, uh, I don't know, some national park somewhere on our trip and, I was confronted by something that I haven't been confronted by in a while because I, I felt like this technology changed and, and wasn't happening as much. But the automatic flush, those things are pretty fucking sensitive. And when I go to lean and wipe my ass, it flushes. So you're going down the, to make a flush, you know, to, to wipe your ass, and it starts splashing water because it flushes so fucking violently. Have you guys run into that? The accidental bidet? Yeah, I have. Yeah, what the fuck, man? Like, well, it's because you got to account for a giant portion of our society that has no manners whatsoever and can't be bothered to either shit in the toilet. That's a feat in and of itself. But once they accomplish <laughs> that act, if they're able to clean themselves without smearing it on all the walls, you got a 50 50 chance they'll actually flush. That's fair. But, you know, we put a man on the moon. Can they make the sensor? Where, like, if I bend over a little bit to wipe my ass, it doesn't think I stood up. No. That's all I'm asking for. Too much. So, 
that that messes everything up though by the way you know you got to change the angle of the wipe in you know i don't know i guess that's further a further sure, pretty soon it'll is. be ai toilets probably yeah uh you know talking talking about what you're saying it's all about you know people making it in the toilet you know that's that's really how you know we failed as a society because let's be honest most places you go in a public place to use the bathroom it's just fucking destroyed piss everywhere piss on the toilet seat piss on the floor it's not flushed whatever i think that's a real like if if you're looking to move somewhere go to one of their a public place and go to the restroom and see the condition it's in that will tell you all you need to know about that community. I think that's that's really how we should do real moving forward. I think I stepped over. What'd you say? Oh, I just said that's actually a really good point. I've never thought of that. Well, I I once had somebody tell me, go to the grocery store of the community, and you know you can tell by the people in the grocery store. And I was like, huh, that's a that's a good idea. But I I think we should take it a step further. Is the bathroom approach? Go to a public bathroom within a mile of where you want to move and, and see what kind of condition it's in. And that will tell you all you need to know about if you want to move to that area or not. We're breaking ground here tonight. I think that's a good a good idea. The other thing, if you're looking at the grocery store people, also along the same lines, look at how many people actually return their grocery carts to the little corral where they're supposed to go on their own. Or do they just abandon them in the middle of the parking lot? I think there'd be yeah. a relation there between that and the condition of the bathrooms. Yeah, I think there's a also, correlation there too. In honor of Riley, you need to know if the men's room has tampons in it. Only if it's a federal <laughs> government restroom. Uh, God bless I, Canada. God bless them. Long live the queen and the king. Uh, whoever's uh, not I'm dead. Sorry, Saul, speaking of American history, can sorry. you remind me what happened to the uh, White House during the War of 1812? Just wondering. We, You're barely we your own country. Shut up. It, w- it was time for a teardown, reconstruction, rebuild. It's much better now. So you just let us win so we could, on purpose, so we, you could renovate? I guess that makes sense. Yeah, you idiots did it for free. Do you know how much it would have cost to pay somebody <laughs> to come in and do that? Well, Suckers. I, f- I feel like for a lot of reasons, labor was probably a lot cheaper back then. Yeah. Hey, do you but spell we got- labor with a U, by the way? Do I? Yeah. Fucking weird. That is weird. That is fucking weird. Why do you fucking, you and the Brits add use to words that don't need to be in there? Why do you guys do that? You people? What do you mean, you people? I don't know. Just what I learned. All right. And then uh, one more quick thing before we let the geniuses talk, because I'm clearly uh, what they call a, a retard. Um, I want to just uh, a couple thank yous. Uh, to some people, as you guys know, um, things can be a little spicy in the in the world of social media. So I I always appreciate everybody that that looks out and you know all that good stuff. You know, I get the people that are like the daily sponsors, people that buy merch, people that uh, do all that stuff, people that support the sponsors. I I I cannot do it without you, especially with like Facebook and Instagram always fucking with me. Like Facebook recently uh, took down one of my posts for. Uh, for uh, hate speech, which uh, I just use the word cunt. Um, and apparently that is, is hate speech. And my page got a ding and now it's in trouble. And, and it'll straight up tell you like, Hey, we're not distributing it. 
to everybody because you're an asshole and uh, you could lose your page. That's happened to me several times over the years. And it pisses me off because I feel like I'm forced to not post shit I want to post. Like, I've got a handful of memes that I think are not that bad at all. But I'm like, well, if I post this, I could you fucking get my page deleted. Fucking hate Facebook and Instagram. Um, in fact, they demonetize my page. I don't get paid a ton of money, but it uh, it definitely helps, which it's shitty. So I appreciate you guys always looking out and the people that take care. I, I do appreciate it because, you know, I've, I've turned this somehow into a job. And so I, I cannot do this job without you guys. I rely on you guys. Now, part of that, I people are really cool uh, around Christmas time. I, I have a handful of people that will like send me out Christmas cards and stuff. And I always appreciate that. Um but I got a couple gifts this year, and I wanted to give a shout-out about these gifts. One relates to this very conversation we're having about, about pooping. I had a dude actually send me a bidet. For real? I got a motherfucking bidet in the mail from <laughs> uh, one of the good friends of the page. So I will be hooking that up in the near future, and I will report back on uh, how well it cleans my asshole. So thank you very much for that. One, that's not weird at all. Two, the first time the stream hits your anus, you have to shout that person's name. I can do that. I can do that. Um, Yeah, it's the least I can do. I will. I feel like there's got to be an urban dictionary term for like squeezing one off while the bidet is squirting up your hole. There's got to be something for that, right? Bideting off. Nothing. Probably Crickets. something rolls off the tongue a little better than that. But. Okay. Well, I'm sure we'll think of something. Uh, and then I also got a gift uh, from another good guy on the page. I want to give him a shout out. He's uh, allegedly been on the podcast before, maybe or may not. Um, he sent me some. Uh, he sent me money. Uh, he sent me some shit last year. He sent me some whiskey last year. Um, this year. He sent me some money, which I appreciate. I totally did not take to the casino with because I am not a degenerate. And I do not have a problem. And uh, he also sent me some fucking Blantons, which is very nice whiskey. Do you know about Blantons, boys? Never had it. Solly? Uh, no. I come from Trailer Dwellers. I drink Jack. Okay. So Blantons is... uh. It's some good shit. It is very expensive bottle of whiskey. In fact, uh, I was visiting one of my friends that used to live in Colorado that lives out in the Carolinas on this trip. He had like three bottles of it. And I was like, dude, can we try this? He's like, no, they're hard to come by. Like you have three bottles. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, what is the point of you having three bottles? He's like, I just, I don't know. So he wouldn't open them. Well, I'm a believer. If you have something, you should drink it. So I'm going to try a little bit of this uh, very expensive whiskey that I'm very happy was sent to me right now. Toast, boys. Does that, does that life theory include semen? What about semen? You said if you have it, you should drink it. I'm just wondering how far that goes. I, I was talking more about alcohol, but I'm not one to judge. Okay, just checking. Okay, that I'm going to sip on this whiskey real quick, and then we need to have a side chat about semen. Okay. I want you to think about semen sipping on wow that was fantastic fucking delicious Ooh, i like it that's good shit okay so uh i was i when i said that's fantastic i was thinking about semen um 
I just want to give a shout out um, to all the ladies out there. I can't imagine that that tastes very good. And for all you swallowers out there, I think we owe you a toast for doing what needs to be done. I, I've heard it's a little salty. Saul, you would know, right? I do, but isn't that kind of their job? Wow, Saul. Their job? I mean... I was trying to get a Canadian reaction. He's just been quiet. I was trying to see if I could nudge him out. Oot and a boot. Oot. <laughs> Oot so that we could talk a boot. It. You know, Riley, I need to know. Um, here in America, we as men, we do appreciate the gals that, wow, we're going down a, a great. Thanks, sponsors. Uh, we do appreciate the women's um, that will, you know, swallow. Um, Especially if they have tongue rings. Very yes. romantic. What is what is the uh what is the um traditions in Canada? Spitters, swallowers on the face, on the tits, like what what do the chicks do there? Well, as you know, it's impolite to kiss and tell. Oh, that is such a Canadian answer, you fuck. You fucking frostback. All I'll say is there's there's a lot of things that I appreciate about about those things, and I'll leave it at that for now. I'm and I'm I'm only drinking a beer or two tonight. I'm not drinking the hard stuff like before, so I might not be as loose with my words as before. Oh, you'll be loose when I come up and see you. <laughs> Allegedly, but I won't kiss and tell. All right. Well, it's just impolite. Unless you get your tongue pierced before you come up, then we can talk. <laughs> Fair enough. Can we just? Take a moment in honor of Canada to discuss how absolutely amazing that baseball intro to Letter Kenny when they're throwing <laughs> the ball around and talking about butt stuff is the funniest fucking thing in the history of the world. And when everything changes, when they just cut Dan, they just, just Derry and Wayne start throwing it back and forth and just ignore him while he's talking. Yeah, it's, it's great. But like angrily and awkward disgust. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I, I cried. I was laughing so hard. That was fucking genius. One of my favorites is when they're talking about uh, regular sex versus anal sex. And he's talking about like um, <laughs> like a Swiss cheese versus brie cheese or like a loaf of bread versus a bagel. And it just, yeah, same idea. Awesome. Uh, I haven't watched the last season yet. Have you? I haven't had time. I've had too much stuff going on and I want, I mean, it's only six episodes and they're like what, 25 minutes each. So like, it wouldn't take me long, but um, I've got a few things on the go um, outside of work right now. And I just, I haven't had time to sit down and actually watch it. And I don't think you guys yeah. have either. Do you? I I did. There's some things that need to be discussed. No spoilers. I just, it's a lot of times with great series, the last season, I find sometimes they just kind of mail it in and it's a little lazy in some spots. And I'll be curious to get your takes after you watch it. Yeah, I've, 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 I'm in a couple of groups, like Facebook groups that like talk about Letterkenny. And yeah, there's, there's a mixed bag. A lot of people fucking hate the last season. And some people say it's nice, and yeah, I've I've heard I've heard a lot of negative reviews about it. Fuck you, Jonesy! Your mum shot come straight across the room and killed my Siamese fighting fish. Threw off the pH levels in my aquarium. You piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Shorzy! <laughs> Best thing ever. 
yeah, Shorzy's fucking comedy gold. Yeah, I God, that I will say one thing about Letter Kenny. They're like, oh yeah, they're calling it quits after what is it, twelve seasons? And I'm like, they're, they're like, you know, is it six episodes? I was thinking it was eight episode seasons. Yeah, I think um, it's six episodes a season. I think okay. I'd have to double check, but it's six or eight episodes. It's six. Yeah. Okay, so they're doing six episode seasons, which is basically like an hour of uh, of of content, right? Uh, we're gonna do. We've already done that sitting here now. Now, obviously, what we do is is trashy and, and you know not a whole lot of work goes into it, but they're very very short seasons. So I I mean you can't be like oh they work so hard. I mean like they spent like you know a month out of the year doing it, if that to to shit these out. Yeah. And um, Jared Kiso, like the guy who plays Wayne, he signed a contract with like Crave and Hulu for, um, they're saying it's like something new, like for, for a ridiculous amount of content and a ridiculous amount of like episodes, but not of Letterkenny. So I wouldn't be surprised if they, I don't know if it's going to be spinoffs or more Shorzy or if they're going to take it in different directions. But I think I saw an interview with him, with him where he basically said, We've told the stories we wanted to tell. We wanted to kind of call it now before it starts to get shitty. So, I don't know. Which I appreciate. Uh, hopefully, I don't do that. Um, yeah, I I appreciate that. Because, um, you know, some things do go on too long, and then they, they ruin it. But I wonder if it's going to be kind of like a thing where, I mean, obviously, it would be a little bit different, like what Kevin Smith did and like, his whole world is – uh you know, we're going to learn, we're going to get to see more of Letterkenny and like, you know, the side characters and more of what they do. You know, that I mean, I bet people would watch a whole show with uh with Stuart and uh what's his fucking name? Oh, I fucking hate the skids. I'd rather get a root canal Stuart? and watch, watch a show with just them. Ugh. All right. Well, whatever. I mean, the McMurray's, maybe it'll be a whole swinging show with the McMurray's. I don't know. 5.15 inches. All right. Uh, I think that covered uh, all my bullshit. So uh, in closing, good trip, pro-abortion, and uh, thank you guys for being awesome. And we're going to fucking have a good year. All right. We're going to take a quick break and be right back to the podcast. Oh, hey there. It's just me. Just got a couple quick things for you guys. Wanted to remind you in the podcast description and on uh, the meme page, I got a link tree. It has all your favorite poorly made stuff. You can get to the Ghost Patch stuff that we do together. You can also get the Flex Shield by Ghost Patch. Got our friends Officer Privacy, Fit Responder, Frontline Optics, Revelations Training, and then, of course, a link to my merch. So make sure you guys are checking that out for everything poorly made. And one last thing before I let you get back to the podcast. The very last thing you see on every single podcast is a link. That's how you become a monthly donor slash sponsor to the podcast. You can do that if you love the podcast and you want to help a fella out, or if you just feel sorry for me, go ahead and click that link to be a monthly donor. Now, back to the podcast. Uh, a few days ago, uh, we were having a conversation in the group chat, which uh, many podcast topics come from. And as always, I said, fuck, this, should, this is a good podcast. We need to discuss this in, uh, in further detail. And uh, I, I think I'll have kind of Saul uh, lead us into it because he had a good, uh, I guess, debate topic kind of uh, about as far as putting in for FTO and not putting in for FTO. And so I'll, I'll let you kind of start us out. 
I guess what the discussion was is that I I've never been an FTO and this is where Riley's going to come in much more handy. Um, but I've got a lot of friends who have done it and, you know, we've all kind of gone through that experience on the one side, but what I've just noticed is that I've spent thousands of hours teaching being a good teacher is a skill um, and you kind of have a duty to pass on to the next generation and bring people up who can do whatever the job is right, right? Like doctors, lawyers, cops, everybody needs good people to mentor and guide them through the start of their career so that they can develop good habits and start off on the right foot. I guess just what I've noticed is in teaching in other arenas, it gets repetitive. Um, it can certainly get frustrating, especially when you get shitty people occasionally that you have to, to teach or instruct. And what I've noticed and what I thought was the biggest thing is I've had friends get into it. Like, you're going to hate your life in about a month when all the novelty wears off and you realize all the extra bullshit you got to do and writing daily reports and everything else. And you usually you get like you know, like an hour extra of vacation time per 12 hour shift or a 5% pay bump for just that shift. that will buy you a cup of coffee at the end of the day. Um, and what I've noticed is my friends who end up being FTOs or coaches or whatever the hell you want to call them, they like it at first, but then the problem becomes that they get used so much and they can't set out rotations because not enough people are doing it. So really what happens when you get trainers, especially good trainers, is they get leaned on so heavily that they just get driven into the pavement and lose all their will to do it. So, uh, Riley, I'll have you step in in a second. But, yeah, I I saw that at my agency. And I've talked about it before, but just – in case nobody's heard me talk about kind of where I'm at with the whole FTO thing. I was never like a full-fledged FTO. Um, I got asked to put in for it. Um, I didn't. I would fill in, you know, if somebody was sick or whatever, nobody else on the shift was an FTO, then I, I would help out with that. I, I didn't do it a ton, but I, I did do it. Um, but I, when I started, you know, my whole thing about being a cop, one of my big inspirations was my dad was a cop and my dad was an FTO. So I always was like, well, I'll be an FTO someday because um, we all know how much I love fucking talking and acting like I fucking know everything. And my first year on the road, I got an evaluation and part of the evaluation, they said, hey, what do you want to do? And keep in mind, this is the first year. So half of that was academy. And then I was six months out on my own. Right. Uh, well, actually, no, I mean, it was. Something like just I was just out of FTO, in fact, right? So I, I didn't have that much time out on my own at all. And I said, Hey, where do you see yourself? Uh, in a few years, maybe I'll think about an FTO. And the next week, my my sergeant put me into an FTO class, which as a very young cop, still learning everything, scared me out of being an FTO. It was like a couple day long course or whatever. And I was like, fuck that. I don't want to be an FTO. And never really got into it any further. So that's my experience with FTO at my agency. My agency actually treated FTOs pretty fucking well. Um, they got better days off than everybody else. They had a pay bump through the whole year, so they made more money than ever, anybody else on a patrol level. 
um, because of that pay bump. But it's still, I would see it, it would burn people out because like Saul was saying, you know, they were trying to keep up with attrition and they just, they always had a recruit in their car. And I think that's just, that's just fucking tough to be training and training and training and training and not getting a break to do, to actually be a cop yourself. Riley, what are your thoughts on all this? Well, I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast, but I, I, I was a coach officer. Um, you mean FTO? For, yeah. We'll call, do you want me to just say FTO to make it easier? Um, yeah. But it, I, I got lucky. Um, I only ever trained one recruit. Um, well, I, I trained one and a half recruits. I can get into that later. But um, my recruit was fantastic, and he actually listens to the podcast. So shout out to him if he's listening. But uh, when he first started, I was kind of, he was, he'd come in a little bit later in life. He was about 30 when he got hired and he had worked in another uh, field. Um, I think he was a Brinks guard or not Brinks, but some similar sort of company. And he was at management level. So he, he had a good handle on how to deal with people already. And so I was really fortunate in um, a lot of the agencies up here. um, You get like a 2% or a 4% bump for being a coach. And it's usually like a one week course, but I've seen it more often than not, especially if the recruit is shit or is I've only ever seen a couple of recruits fired over my career, but the amount of, if you're, if your recruit is shit, it's, it's hard on you. It's, you know, you have to do uh, like, if you want to give them a, if you want to give them a, uh, a less than ideal, um, if you want, if you want to give them like a does not meet standard on one of their evaluations, you basically have to write a plan up that's, what extra work and what extra steps are you going to take to get them up to standard? So it's way more work if the recruits not pulling their weight and the amount of like basically protection from litigation that's done before you fire somebody involves so, so much work that I think sometimes, especially if guys are burnt out that they just kind of phone it in and know that he's not meeting standard, but maybe you're too busy or don't have the desire to do all this extra work that's required if they don't meet standard. So it's easier to just push them through, which causes, you know, a 30 year problem for that agency. But the other thing is motivation. Like I wanted to coach. I, it's something that I had always wanted to do. Like you guys, I, I like, obviously I like to talk, but I also like to I like to see guys do well. And I, I like to think that sometimes I can explain things in a way that other people can't or take a different approach and, and that it's good for people. But up here, depending on your agency, if you want to promote a lot of our, a lot of agencies have like competency-based processes for promotion. And one of the competencies that you need for promotion in some agencies is coaching. So there's a lot of people who don't actually want to be coaches, but they want to be sergeants. And so they coach as like, because they need that competency and it's, it's never a good fit if you don't actually want to coach. Do you guys know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, there's a lot of layers to this, this conversation because I think uh, one thing I, I wanted to talk about a little bit with the whole FTO thing is I definitely complained uh, about FTOs and and then I would kind of get pushback, which I, I frankly deserved was like, well, if you have a problem with it, then you fucking go be an FTO, which is a very fair and valid point. I can't really argue with that. But, but I think it, the problem is it's it's a management problem, right? Like it's typical government bullshit where the people above you 
they've got a hole to fill. And if they think you can fill that hole, they'll tell you, they'll shine up your ego a little bit to get you to plug that leak. But they definitely won't be in front of you, up front with you about what that entails as far as they're not going to give you a break. You're not going to be able to sit out rotations. Like everybody I've talked to who's a trainer is like, if I could sit out every other rotation and not have somebody in my car constantly, that would be great. But then due to attrition and everything else, that never happens. They just have people in their car nonstop. Now, how long for you guys, how, how long is the FTO process? Like you say, you say there's a guy in your car. Like, so the way it worked um, in my agency is you, you're, if you are, if you're, uh, as soon as he hits your, as soon as he hits your, your platoon, your shift, you're riding with him 24 seven for the first two months. And then as long as he's doing okay, or she, they, then after two months, they can be on their own during the day. But then at night, they're supposed to bevel up with you. And then after the first four months, as long as they're doing okay, they can ride by themselves. But you're supposed to stay like in the same patrol area. And that is fucking goofy. Yeah. So you're you're basically doing monthly report, but monthly evaluations with them. But you stay with that person through their whole probationary period. Unless there's a real problem that or they're not doing well, then typically they'll try at least one other coach before they start escalating things. So, I mean, you're still responsible for keeping your eye on a person. You're still expected to go to calls with them, but they're allowed to ride by themselves for, for a good chunk of it, but you still have to do monthly evaluations. So, and I'd be curious to hear Lloyd, what yours was. Ours was a little bit different where you'd have three phases and the first phase You'd be with trainer A, and really it's just mostly observation. And then you would switch usually to a different area and a different trainer for B, and you would start doing more during that phase, kind of start handling calls and doing everything else. And then phase three, generally they would want you to go back to your first trainer, and that's when you're just in observation phase and you're handling everything, and they're not going to step in on calls unless it's a safety issue but then if you get extended you know depending on if you get along with your trainer or not and what the recommendations are they might bump you to a different person but what that amounts in is because there's three different phases plus extensions is the trainers are just passing everybody off to each other so you don't get a break so it's i have kid a for phase one pass him off for phase two, but I get somebody else's phase one for phase two. So yeah, that doesn't sound sustainable to me. Yeah. So the entire time you're just swapping the people in your car, but you have somebody in your car for that entire time period. So what my agency would do was pretty similar to that. And I'll say that, you know, they only had recruits when there was an academy class, but you know, when they're doing two academy classes a year, then you really don't have much time off. And it was basically phase one, which I have a rant on that, by the way. And I think this is a very similar model for a lot of the United States. I don't think it's the same everywhere. In fact, I've heard of departments that don't have fucking FTO. We've heard about that on the podcast, which is fucking insane. Um, but the first phase is basically supposed to be observation. And it would drive me up the fucking wall. When FTOs were like getting on their recruits for not doing stuff and not knowing stuff. And I'm like, dude, you went to the FTO class. You fucking know the model we use is let them learn, like observe right now. Stop fucking with them right now. Um, 
that's just my whole take. Uh, I can, I have a whole rant on FTO. I, I think FTO should be way fucking longer. I think observation should be way fucking longer because if all you know about the job is the academy and watching cops, you don't know shit. You should watch things a little bit. Basically go on a ride along for a couple months and then things will hopefully click a little bit better for you. But that's I know that's not realistic because of time and management and all that stuff. So phase one is supposed to be observation. Phase two, same thing. Get a you know you're getting more a little bit more involved. You know you're supposed to be doing like thirty percent of the work, and the FTO is doing seventy percent of the work or something like that. Phase three, then most of it comes down on you, and you know you're doing a lot of the work, and then you have and these are all four weeks, and then you have I think it's a two week test out where then you go back to your first FTO, and uh, I might have the the week maybe it's three weeks and then two weeks I don't know, uh, but FTO is like. Uh, 12 weeks total i think for us something like that and so then then test out is when the fto is really not involved and just watching you and uh, as long as you get through that you're okay so the funny thing for me and this is funny for riley based on what he was saying too i'd be curious to get your take (laughs) is i've done field training in a couple different roles so far and one of them long story but was through detentions And it was later in life. And so my trainer was a super cool guy. And this was several years ago. But we sat down and he's like, look, you're a squared away dude. You've got life experience. Here's the deal. I'm going to be straight up with you. You're going to get meets expectations. We were graded on a one to five scale, right? Which is probably similar to what most people do. And he straight up told me like on day two, he's like, look, here's the deal. You're mostly going to get threes. And the reason why you're mostly going to get threes, no matter what you do, is if I give you a two and you're underperforming, I have to write up a long thing explaining why you're underperforming. If I give you a four that you're exceeding expectations, I've got to write up a long thing as to why you're exceeding expectations. So I have to type a lot less if you get a three. And I was like, roger that. Which is a problem (laughs) and kind of hilarious at the same time. Our agency would actually, um, towards the end there, they would issue FTOs, their own computers, I believe. Or maybe they could, they had some program they could get into where they could go home and work on their uh, DORs at home after the shift. Because if you had a busy night, you're, you're there till 10 in the morning, fucking typing out DORs. And, uh, for that five percent pay bump or that one extra yeah, hour, and it's, hour of it's comp time. a lot, you know. Like I, the times I did it, I really tried to keep up on it. Uh, like I'd make notes on my fucking phone and all kinds of shit. Like you know, they'd be typing a report and I'd be fucking emailing myself on my phone like some stuff, so I didn't have to fucking you know stress about that later on. But it's it's a pain in the dick to to especially with uh, all the uh, documentation they want to do, which is good, right? You want to. You want to document things, uh, but that was, I think, an issue that some guys would have is, hey, we document that this guy fucking sucks. And I think it was you that Saul was saying, like, guys would just get burnt out on the fucking, they document this guy sucks and they still hire him anyway. And what the fuck's the point of doing all this work if you're not going to take my recommendation? Yeah, and agencies will bend over backwards to get people through who, and it's different, like, SOs are nice just from the standpoint if somebody is a total soup sandwich, you can you have the out of just sending them back to the jail, which is what happens with most of those guys. But other agencies that are 
you know, finding it hard to recruit and get bodies in. Sometimes I get the impression and I'd be curiously to get curious to get Riley's opinion that all that the brass thinks is, is this person better than not having anybody in that slot? And what are the odds that they're going to get us sued? And if you have a pulse and are a tick above their worry threshold for getting the agency sued, they're going to fight tooth and nail to keep you in. Yeah, I've I've seen both sides of that to be honest. I've seen in like I've been doing this for what six sixteen ish years, roughly fifteen or sixteen years. And I could probably count on one hand the number of recruits I've seen who get fired. So when us for us, like you have your your time at the academy, then you come and once you graduate the academy, you're on probation for a year. And during like what you're what you're told is that during that probationary period, you basically have no job security. And if they want to fire you, they can fire you. But anytime I've seen a recruit fired, um, there has to be documentation of every deficiency. There has to be like um, like a, a plan put in place. Like say you're deficient on whatever whatever of the, the criteria you're being evaluated on does not meet standard. You have to do like a plan. Like the coach has to do a plan. Like what what are we going to do with this person to basically spoon feed them and get them up to standard? And then uh, usually the first, uh, the next step is to like give them a new coach and see if it's like a personality issue. And then documentation, documentation being written up, escalating like discipline or not discipline, but documentation, documentation. And then I've seen like, it has to go all the way up to the chief basically. Like, and then the chief or their deputy or whomever has to have a meeting and say like, okay, what if this comes back on us, can we say that we gave this person every possible opportunity to succeed? And if the answer is yes, and they're still shitting the bed, then yeah, they'll be fired before they get that probationary period through. But I can count way more than the number of recruits I've ever seen fired. I've seen people say, oh, that person never should have made probation, but there wasn't enough documentation of their deficiencies. And it comes down to like what you said, Saul, if they, you know, does not, we just, ours is a lot more simple during probation when you're being evaluated monthly. It's like, there's a, a pile of different criteria. I want to think there's like 20 and it's either meet, meet standard or does not meet standard. And if they don't meet standard, then there needs to be a plan put into place in writing as to how you're going to get them up to standard. And like you said, if you have, it does not meet standard, you need to extensively document why they don't meet standard and why they haven't got not, why you haven't given them an opportunity to, to learn or whatever. Real quick, uh, Pepperoni Tony has been waiting patiently in the sidelines. He can only be with us for a couple of minutes. Tony, A, do you have any thoughts on this? And then B, I know you had a very special message. Uh, oh, you didn't tell him my special message earlier? I thought you. I wanted you to fucking tell him. Oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> uh, fuck you, pussy saw for, uh, you know, you're welcome for my service, by the way, for not this FTO idea, the insurance idea. Yeah, Which we haven't you're, talked you're about it yet. For it, we're coming. Squishing, coming. squishing hopes and dreams. Oh go yeah, thank a, you for that. Go eat a flat piece of pizza, you fucking. I, you know, I was I was thinking about getting one tonight. I was going to send you a lovely picture of me eating it. Maybe I can still that I can actually do that tonight. <laughs> I, I, maybe I will do that. <clears throat> I will do that. And as far as my thoughts to what you guys are saying, and you know, you're all both all three of your departments or former departments, whatever. It may be sound very efficient because nothing like that happens where I am. Like, so they've changed the model. Just to, I'll be quick, I promise. 
they've changed the model on how they deal with recruits coming out of the academy three times since I've been been on and I'm going on 12 years with this department. So I now I, I don't even know because they recently changed it again. So I honestly couldn't tell you how they do it, but like like 100%. But from what I understand is that you go to, you get, you get assigned a borough, either Queens, Brooklyn, you know, there's every borough is divided into, well, not every, but like either Queens North, Queens South, you know, every borough, whatever. And then you're in your part of that borough and then they could send you wherever they want pretty much. And either going to be on foot or you're in the car with the sergeant or an FTO. And all you're really, you're not really answering calls. You're just kind of like <clears throat> either <clears throat> looking for crime, quote unquote, or activity, I guess is one way to put it. And then I know in some places they'll put you actually in a sector car to answer calls. But when I was an FTO, when I did it, it was, I had you for two, two months. And then you went because they you either went either midnight days or four bys, which is the afternoons. And I was the four, I was one of the four by guys. And so I would only have that person for two months and they would go to the next four, so on and so forth. But I didn't have to do DORs, which I think is crazy in and of itself. I didn't have to do that. But if I had, if I felt that there was a problem with the, the, the recruit or whatever the case is, I would tell like the sergeant who's in charge and they were supposed to handle it. And I know Riley was saying before about how many people he's seen fired. I think I've only ever seen it one time that I'm aware of. I'm sure it happens. But the same thing with us, when you're on probation, they could get rid of you for any reason. I've seen people get let go for, for their stupidity, not because of uh, um, them working, but stuff they did off the job. So, but yeah, but your, your departments are much more efficient than I was in mine. Well, I wouldn't call them efficient because I never saw anybody fucking hardly ever did people get fired. Like there was a guy in my class that was uh, struggling and back then. I mean, the FTOs would kind of bully people out, I think, is why people like they'd kind of have, you know, they'd make them quit. But the department wasn't firing people. Um, I actually knew a story. Uh, allegedly, I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, there's a real good dude uh, in the academy who did fine in the academy and uh, was having a little bit of trouble in FTO and he actually was going to be told that day that they were going to pass him he'd got extended and he came in and quit I don't know if that's true but so like shit like that used to happen and you know I, I've heard stories of, of back in the day at my old agency where they prided themselves on getting people to quit which I think is the opposite problem like that's that is a problem you shouldn't try to make people fucking quit um you know, people that shouldn't be there shouldn't be there. But uh, I we had a lot of good people that, you know, were pushed out that ended up having great careers other places, you know. Um, but I had a guy and I, I've kind of spoke about this this fella. Uh, he wasn't my recruit, but I remember going on a call with him as a recruit and he just said the goofiest fucking shit and was totally uncomfortable and just was weird as fuck. And I'm like, this guy should not be here. He got extended for like ever. I mean, months and months and months of extensions, I think past his probation. And he finally gets through FTO and is out on the road. And lo and behold, he is a total fucking mess. And they wanted to fire him, but nobody had fucking like all of us had all these stories that we'd heard or, or we'd be witness to of him doing weird fucking shit. 
none of his bosses had documented it. And so when they go, you know, they go up and say, hey, this guy sucks. We need to do something. The upper is like, you guys didn't fucking document anything. There's nothing on this fucking dude except his FTO stuff. But we're past that. So you need to fucking document it. They end up sending this dude back through FTO. And um, just not good, right? Like a fucking mess, you know, nice kid or whatever. But like, this is not a job where like anybody can do it. Sorry, it's not. Um, and that's not to say, like, I, I, you know, I, I don't like the gatekeeping that goes on a lot with law enforcement about like how we're big and tough and big and not everybody can do it, blah, blah, blah. It's how you present it. It's just not for everybody, and that's okay. You know, I, I don't think we need to be, like, ragging on people that, that didn't make it or whatever. Um, but at the same time, like, there, it's that's a thing. We we're, we were letting people, and this is even before all the wildness of uh, COVID and shit and uh, the summer of love, and now nobody wants to be a cop. Even before that, we were doing this shit. Now, I, I got to imagine it's fucking magnified tenfold. I, I heard a story out of the academy um, since I left at my old agency where somebody fucking quit. Oh, you know what? Actually, I got to be fair about this. I heard a story about how somebody fucking quit 10 years ago and because they fit a checkbox, they went back, they like went to their house and begged them to come back. Um, but that shit's happening now where somebody fucking quit um, after getting smoked and they like begged them to come back. Holy fuck, we are fucked. Insane. Sorry, I know I kind of went on a on a little rant there. What do you what do you think about all this all? It's a lot, but it's I mean, being a good cop is I'm in awe all the time of people who have a really deep skill set to be able to do the basics, but also to get into cars, know how to talk to people, know how to build and develop cases out of nothing. Like it's it's a fucking skill. It just reminds me a lot of I've done litigation for 21 years and in law school, the funny thing is you get a lot of people who want to be litigation attorneys, but they do not have the personality or the skill set at all. And I can tell in five minutes, I've taught programs all over the country and there are people who really want to do it. And I'm like, dude, you are not wired for this. Like, it's just not who you are at all. And it's usually people who have more of like an engineer mentality, but you know, like knowing when to be aggressive, when not to be aggressive, being able to think on your feet, being able to very quickly make decisions that could have huge implications. It's all shit you see in cop work, too. And some people are just incapable of doing that. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person, but it might mean that you should probably go to a different role. Um, You know, like there are people who are probably great fucking admins sergeants and lieutenants who are great at keeping track of all the cars on fleet but you get them on a basic dv call and they shit the bed and have no clue what they're doing right like you'd like to think you you need different roles but police are really weird i think just in general how you handle admin and i think it's been talked on here before like you put somebody in charge of the budget who has no finance background whatsoever, but they've got, you know, 15 years in as a cop and got promoted to lieutenant. And now they're running a multi-million dollar budget. You know what I would probably do if I was a chief or a sheriff, I'd hire a CFO who actually has a finance background to do that shit because that makes more sense than John, who's a great cop, but he has a high school education 
and two bankruptcies in his past. He can't balance his own budget and you're giving him the keys to the entire department. Probably wouldn't do that. Like I'm a big fan of people who actually have specialized experience, even if it's a civilian role within the department. So I don't know. I just police agencies are run a little weird that way. It's always struck me as funny. I, I definitely want to get back on the FTO thing, but you kind of struck a chord there with that. And it's, I've thought the same thing. Salt is you have cops in these weird units and half of me is like, you know what? It's, it's cool for them because they get some different experience and that gets them off the road as a timeout. And so that's, that's, I, I think that's good for some people to kind of get off the road for a little bit. So I, I see that side of it, but but the uh, the I don't know the the other side of it, which I think I look at it more at is it's so fucking inefficient. Like you need people in the street, but you have like three dudes in some unit like looking at policy, or you have you know like three dudes depending on. Obviously, this depends on the size of your agency. I know like the smaller agencies don't have this, but you know you have a dude that like looks over fleet maintenance. You have a dude that looks over uh, quartermaster stuff, and it's holy fuck, we should have some different people doing that and we should have cops actually doing cop stuff. You know, um, cop guy doesn't, uh, a cop guy, a cop doesn't need to look over. Uh, <laughs> that was so stupid. Um, you just proved you know, your own point. Yeah, I've been drinking a little bit. But uh, the cop guy, uh, he doesn't need to be doing all these administrative roles. Like, we need this dude on patrol. Like, we need another body fucking in a police car, not fucking in a police car don't get too excited there megan um but all right i'm gonna stop talking i've been a little bit too liquored up but you got you guys know what i'm saying if you work for a police agency you've really seen how inefficient the fucking government is because you have guys cops running these agencies that have no financial background and are frankly like you look at most people that are a chief uh or a sheriff yeah, some people do have degrees and like business and stuff, but they've been cops. They've been cops. Maybe not great cops, but they've been cops. They don't have experience running a business, which essentially, like Saul was was talking about, there's there's parts of policing, you know, on the administrative side that is running a business. Why do you have fucking dumb cops running that shit? It's the fucking stupidest shit. It's totally inefficient. I'll stop. Riley's. Well, I think it's, I don't know about you guys, but up here, if, if you're, if you're a civilian working for a police force, you typically make less money than the sworn officers. There's always exceptions, you know, like psychiatrists and psychologists and whatnot. But like, generally speaking, if, uh, if a job is being done by an officer, if a civilian, if that job, job becomes civilianized, the civilian is not going to be making as much money as the officer doing it. And I feel like there's been, like you said, there's these administrative units that it's almost like when cops get into them, it's a cushy job. You're not working nights. You're not dealing with shit bags on the street. And there's always this resistance to be like, oh, well, you know, the civilians don't understand what it's like. There are certain jobs that you don't need to know what it's like. You just need to be have a civilian skill set to be able to do it well. And we're afraid of it. And I think sometimes it's these guys who are trying to hold on to their cushy gigs. Maybe I'm wrong, but. No, I think I think you're on to that. Um... I want to get into the FTO thing. Uh, there's there's something I wanted to talk about a little bit, which I, I is near and dear to me and, and may be near and dear to uh, people 
that listen to the podcast, and I'd be curious what you guys all think about it. There's this kind of yin and yang of like, do I put in for FTO? I I feel like I could help. I think I could be a good trainer. I think I could be really be good for the new guys coming in. These guys that are training them suck and taking like the responsibility, right? Because ultimately uh, I I've heard other people say this. I'm not coming up with this, this idea of the RFTO is, is the most important position on a police department. I, I think that's true. So there's like that one side of it. Like, you know, if you're good and you, you, you think you have the ability to teach, you should do it. It's, it's good for your agency. It's good for the culture of your agency. It's good for the future of your agency. Right. But then there's the, like the selfish side of it, um, which, you know, I'll admit I kind of fell into was like, I like doing what I do. I don't want to babysit. Uh, I think I could train, but I don't want to. And it's kind of selfish. And I, I always was kind of in between it. Like every fucking year when they were asking, Hey, who wants to put in? And I, I always kind of had that fight. Cause it was like, yeah, the extra money would be nice, but you know, I didn't like the days off because it didn't work well with my wife's schedule, but it's like, well, I could, I could, I could really make a difference, but then I, I want to do my thing. I want to do uh PM PM things. Well, actually, I that's a bad way to put it. I wanted to do Lenny things. I wanted to go out there and, and do the stuff I like to do because it made me happy. Now towards the end, none of it made me happy. And I wanted to run into an Oak tree, but when it was good, it was fucking excellent. That's the story for another day. What do you guys, uh, I'll start with you, Saul. Like, where do you kind of fall on this? Like, is it selfish not to put in or to say no if they ask you um, because you don't want to do it? I think you have to have a love for teaching and a love for passing on the craft. And I think a lot of good people need to step into that role. But I guess my problem with field training more is the level above because I feel like if there's any position, not that it should be coddled, but that those officers for what they're giving to your department, field trainers should be treated with a little more respect. They should be given some gratitude for the extra amount of work they're putting in and what they're doing. And if that's some extra pay, extra vacation days, spelling them out so they're not getting burnt out, like those decisions need to be made because it is a hard but extremely necessary job that you need good people in and good people doing or else you're going to wreck the entire crew of people you have doing training. So I think brass needs to take a hard look. What I feel like they do is they promise shit and act like you getting a 5% bump for a short period of time is some miraculous thing they're doing for you. And then the second they get you into the field training program, they just abuse the shit out of you and keep using you without taking how that's impacting you into account at all. So I think it's a level above that problem. That's an administrative issue. I I feel like agencies devolve very quickly. And this is where this is going to come up in the insurance discussion too, where I feel like agencies, corporations, everything play on your ego and try to make you feel important and get you into a role. And then they use that psychological warfare on you to get you in the door. And then before you know it, you're the gimp from Pulp Fiction that's in the box down in the basement with a ball gag, and they just pull you out whenever they need you and want to fuck you. And that's what it becomes is just every time, you know, you want to take a breather, they pull you out to 
fuck you and give you somebody else. And you never get the ball gag out of your mouth. That is the best analogy I can ever come up with. Riley, what are your thoughts? Well, it's not quite as graphic as Saul, but it's the same idea. Like it's if they need people to, because I mean, everybody's facing attrition. Everybody has recruits coming through. So I have a couple of, I mean, I think it's, it's not, I don't think it's selfish to have some self-preservation in mind. But the other thing is from a, I'm not in management to make that very clear, but from a management perspective, like if you, you need coaches. So for me, the challenge should be if you're in management, never mind like sweetening the pot, how do you identify people who actually want to do this? Because if you don't do it, it's very obvious. I know situations, I know have friends that when they were new, their coaches were like voluntold to coach. And you can tell, like, if, if you're with somebody for, you know, at the beginning, 24, you know, 24 seven, every shift, not 24 hours, but day and night, and they don't really want to be there, that's going to become pretty obvious pretty quickly. And so if you want your people to do well, you have to figure out a way to either make it incentivized or just appeal to those people's like desires to, to, like you said, pass along the craft. You have to figure out a way to get those people interested. Because if not, it's just a recipe for disaster. But like Saul said, like a lot of it comes down to support from the upper tiers. If you're going to make somebody a coach, you should be doing some common sense things to um, to give that person some some more longevity in that role. Like um, like aside from being a coach, I also do some part time like firearms instruction. So I help out with in service, and I do some like basic firearms instruction and firearms instruction and other roles. And whenever we're teaching, we have a pretty like, you're not running a line for the whole day because nobody can do that. Nobody can, you know, have their attention that focused on that sort of, sort of thing first. So you'll, you'll run a couple of lines and then you'll step off and grab a coffee or something. And somebody else will run a couple of lines. And that's the only way you can keep yourself focused on what you're doing. And so it's a bit of a microcosm, but at the same time, it's like, you can't be coaching, 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 or training, training, training. You need that downtime or you're just going to get burnt out. And as soon as you're burnt out, you're going to have the same mindset as somebody who is voluntold to be an FTO and has no fucking interest in being there. And, and it's just going to be a poisonous environment. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of echoing what Saul said, but if, if you don't want to do it, then you shouldn't really be forced to do it because it's not going to be a good outcome anyway. I so, love steak, but if you make me eat steak every meal for six weeks straight, I'm not going to like steak so much anymore. Are you sure? When you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to make mistakes too, right? Like if you're constantly evaluating people, like I don't know, you're going to get their names mixed up, or you're going to have, you're going to be struggling to write a report, and you might, you know, say you're coaching people back to back to back to back to back. It all starts to run together after a while, right? I once so, tried three big cases three weeks in a row, and by the third separate trial in three weeks. I found myself accidentally using names from the first trial that I had done several weeks earlier. Yeah, it's fucking a lot. So this, uh, what Riley brought up, reminded me of something that is is a little off the topic of the FTO thing. So I want to talk about that. But before I do, did anybody have any kind of final thoughts on this uh, topic they wanted to get out there before I, I change directions a little bit? It's an incredibly important position and it should be treated with respect and respect to those who are doing it. And that's all I'll say. 
so uh i don't know why this reminded me of this riley um and and this wasn't something i planned on talking about but i think it, it's kind of worth talking about and it, hopefully it brings some value to the conversation i just want to recognize a couple things you know i i sit on the outside looking in now and uh you know i talk to you know you guys and i obviously talk about to cops throughout the country and you know, I, I definitely see some different mindsets. Uh, I see it on the page, you know, because people experience uh, things differently. The job is different in different places. You know, there's some places people still want to be cops and they're not they're not dealing with the the attrition and, you know, all the, the problems wherever they're working. And I uh, I, I don't want to, like, steal content or anything. And, and I wish I could give credit. But I, I saw this reel and I think it was some kind of cop podcast. And uh, the guys were just kind of talking about, um, you know, good cops will take time on calls and, you know, make make sure the victim's needs are, are met and things like that. And, you know, I, I'm I, I'm, you know, listening to this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I like that. And, you know, I, I, I make the common mistake of uh, getting into the comment sections on things and there was a lot of dudes in the comment section of this reel that I, I presumably are bigger city cops. They're basically trashing what these guys are saying, saying this is like fairy tale land. Like we don't have time to do all this stuff. You know, you obviously don't, you know, the comments are, you obviously don't have call volume and you know, you don't, this, you can only do this kind of stuff in Mayberry. And uh, it kind of, it kind of, it was a downer, man. It, it kind of uh, was depressing to hear that. Which I, I, I got to be honest, like I did a little self-reflection. I'm like, I guess I'm kind of the cause of the, that problem, <laughs> to at least in one city, because I'm one of the fuckers that left, um, you know, where these guys are now feel like they can't, you know, spend time with the victim because they're running call to call. And I, and I get it. I totally get it. You know, I, I was in a circumstance, you know, where, you know, we were told, hey, take your time with calls. You know, if they have to pen, they have to pen. Um, but then, you know, the, uh, the sergeants are getting you on the radio telling you to clear to go to something else. Right. So I get what these dudes are talking about. I've, I've been through it, but I just, I thought it was, uh, important to talk about this because I, it, it's a problem and it's, it's, it kind of gets back to like why you do the job and why you're a cop. And, and I understand people join for different reasons. You know, some people uh, are into different things than other people are, but you know, I, I think at the heart of a lot of it is helping people. And it sucks that there's a lot of people that, um, in my opinion, have, have, have lost that. And I understand why I'm not trashing them for it, but it, it, I don't know. I, I just thought that that conversation and then the, the comment section was kind of a, a reflection on the, uh, the sorry state of law enforcement in, in some places. Cause guys uh, feel they don't have time to, really be there for victims, which I, I think is priority number one in a lot of circumstances. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, Riley. Well, I could, I think back to some of the guys I've worked for over the years. And I remember obviously not naming names, but there was one guy in particular I worked for because there, there was always that pressure, right? Like there's calls impending, there's calls in the queue, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to, um, you want to take off as many as you can and you feel guilty. Sometimes it's shift change. And depending on what the uh, organizational culture is like, sometimes if if you leave the re relieving shift, a lot of calls impending, they get pissy. Um, 
it depends on the volume, depends on the day, and depends on the shift. Some people just realize, hey, we got to what we could get to. Sorry, there's there's some. Oh calls yeah, and left you, over. you have beat integrity too. That, I guess that's something I failed to mention in that conversation too. Depending where you work, you know, you don't want somebody else getting the fucking call on your beat. But go on. Well, exactly. But I, but I I remember him telling me like two things that he said to me kind of stuck out over the years, and one of them is, um, you can only do one call at a time, so. I mean, obviously there's, you know, the barking dog complaints and like the chronic Karen's that call in and that that's obviously very different, but like most like legitimate calls, you can only do one of them at a time. And as much as they can bitch about there being calls stacking up this and that, it's like, you know what, I'm not done with this yet. And I'm not saying you should milk calls, but like they deserve your attention. The other thing though, is that (laughs) for somebody to call in, they don't care that there's call intent. Like say somebody calls in, I'm not talking about Karen. I'm not talking about, you know, somebody calling in with their neighbor's clothesline or some bullshit like that, like a legitimate call. Those people don't care that there's calls impending. Those people don't care that you have other things on the go. Those people don't care that you have to catch up from follow up from the week before they called you because they have a problem and none of that shit matters to them. And not that it completely means you shouldn't worry about that sort of stuff, but that's not what they're focused about. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. What do you think, Saul? So can I give a quick example? Here's the issue I have. I feel like as cops, we all think that this stuff is insulated just to police work. And I've seen it in every area, whether it be corporate or other government agencies. But it's the same in any government work that you have. And I think it's part of the problem, kind of a broader issue that impacts everything we're talking about right now. So when I was a public defender, I was up for what the equivalent, and this is talking about like big agencies and things like that, where you've got your ground level guys that are getting beaten into the pavement and are going call to call and don't have time. We had the same thing. I was a public defender in Denver. We had over 50 lawyers. We had insane caseloads. We were trying a lot of very um, big life sentence cases. It was a lot of work, a lot of stress. I had a the office head for that office come to me and say they wanted to interview me to be a division lead, which is the equivalent of like a sergeant level in that world. So they interviewed me for it and they asked what I would do. And I said, you know what? We've got a lot of young lawyers who are getting burnt out and quitting because they're not getting a whole lot of support. And none of the division leads are carrying caseloads. So what I would do is I would take duty weeks which is how you get cases. And I would spread out because I stepped in and took one week and had a caseload. I'd spread everybody else's weeks out. It would lower their volume. They would be less stressed. They'd be able to focus more on their cases and it would help with the mental health of everybody and keep them from getting so burnt out. That was the absolute kiss of death that removed me from the applicant pool because none of the other division leads wanted to fucking work. And the problem you have with government work is that people promote up to positions and carve out special assignments and everything else so that they could do less. I would say you would be hard pressed to find any large department. I guarantee you if Tony wasn't shoving a cannoli up his ass right now, If you took the NYPD and cut 40% of the administration that's fucking useless, 
and in bullshit union jobs where they maybe work an hour a day and shove them back on the street on patrol, everybody's life would be a lot easier. The call volume would go down. I just think so many agencies are top heavy with absolute bullshit fake positions that you could get rid of. Or it could be civilianized, right? Right. Yeah. Like either way, like, I, I, I don't know. I just think it's so inefficient the way a lot of these things are run. And if I had a dollar for every time I've seen people promote or create positions because they don't want to work anymore and everybody knows it, but it's still allowed to happen in plain sight. It fucking aggravates the living shit out of me. That was fucking beautiful, man. Yeah. Like why I wish Tony was here. Like every press conference you see online with NYPD, they have like eight fat fuck chiefs up there sitting by the fucking useless mayor talking about different initiatives and stuff. And I'm like, do you really need eight guys with stars on their collars talking about this one thing? They're all fucking useless. All right. Now I'm aggravated. Sorry. All right. We're going to take a quick break. and We'll be right back to the podcast. Attention all law enforcement officers looking for a badge as flexible and resilient as you are. Discover flex shield by ghost patch. Our flex shields are not just generic badges. They're custom-made, flexible, metallic emblems designed to replicate your actual badge. Perfect for outer carriers, they come with a durable Velcro backing, making them easy to attach and keep them secure. Looking for a distinguished wallet badge? Flex Shield fits the bill. Why choose Flex Shield? We offer unmatched quality at nearly half the price of our competitors, and we never charge for molder setup fees. Plus, we're the only ones offering true dual plating, a testament to our commitment to excellence. Proudly law enforcement owned and operated, we understand what it means to wear a badge. Start your custom order today at ghostpatchcustom.com. Flex Shield, the badge of the future. Uh, one more little special treat before we get into our insurance conversation, which will break a lot of hearts. Uh I two things real quick. Uh I just got back from the trip. I'm very fucking disorganized. So no officer of the podcast, but please, please, please send those in. Email me, poorly made police memes at gmail.com and tell me why somebody you work with or somebody you know or whoever did a good job, needs recognition, and I will uh get them taken care of. Just uh make sure it's uh written in a way that a fourth grader could read it, because I have trouble reading. And uh, obviously, big thanks to Ghost Patch for uh, making those beautiful Officer of the Podcast uh, patches. And uh, big shout out to Ghost Patch. Uh, they rock my world. They uh, are very helpful in keeping me afloat. You guys are awesome by buying all the stuff we do. So make sure you support them. They support all kinds of uh, good people. Uh, not including me because I'm not a good person. I'm kind of a piece of shit. But they uh, they do really good work. And uh, check out their flex shield if you guys have a need for that. So uh, before we get into just real quick, screw the flex shield. Check out the diehard coin. I got them and it's fucking amazing. (laughs) Oh yeah, the diehard coin is really good. I almost was like trying to like I I meant to message him and be like, hey, you got any uh, holdovers? I might want that. But don't fuck the flex shield. Get a flex shield. Flex shields are awesome. Uh, We made some uh, PMPM flex shields and they're so fucking cool. We sell those. So if you need a PMPM flex shield do that uh but is that I, like a I dental have... dam yeah that's what it is yes yeah, exactly what that is okay. um 
I did have a uh, a question come in uh, this morning, and I was like, "Well, fuck! I'll I'll try and remember to do this." And I happened to pull it up as we were talking here. I I kind of I want to be careful when it comes to like legalese type stuff because obviously I'm not a lawyer. I haven't been on the job in like two and a half years. I'm not up on case law, so it's kind of dangerous for me to give opinions. I mean, it's okay to talk about things, um, but obviously. Remember, this is like a fucking podcast. It's called the Poorly Made Police Podcast. We we're talking about blowjobs and, and swallowers and spitters earlier. So maybe not hard hitting legal facts, um, you know, go to the experts. But I do feel a little better uh, talking about this one um, because Saul is here. So I'd be interested what your take is. I think I know what I think was is right here, but I, I think Saul, you'd, you'd be able to help with this one. Not you, uh, you frostback, because this is a American case law. You guys can just fucking violate people's rights up there. But uh, it comes in, question for you and maybe the podcast to see your opinions. We were out at a residence to serve a domestic violence warrant. The listed address on the warrant is the address we were at. We looked inside the front window and observed the guy with a warrant sleeping in a recliner in his living room. And could identify him because I'm familiar with him. The domestic violence warrant is for a misdemeanor warrant. The Sarge told us if we uh, couldn't find an open door or window, we wouldn't be making entry into the home to make an arrest on the subject. I was baffled. Am I in the wrong for thinking that is insane? I would say you're fucking good to go. It's a, a warrant and you fucking address listed the dude on the warrant, you can positively identify he's inside. I would say you're good to go. Uh, Saul, what do you think? I have not looked at that for a little bit, but my belief, and again, grain of salt, I have not researched this. I've thought about it for about eight seconds. My understanding is that if you have a signed arrest warrant, the person is readily identifiable within that home. You can make entry in order to execute the arrest warrant. The difference would be if you didn't know if the person was home, obviously that's a different scenario um, or other indicia like that. But if you can see them plainly from a place that you're legally allowed to be outside and you see them inside the home and you have a warrant for their arrest, yes, my understanding is you can absolutely go in and seize and detain them pursuant to the warrant at that point. It's a little different if I'm remembering right, if it's, you see somebody with a warrant inside somebody else's house. I, I feel like, you know, if you have like a fresh pursuit situation, then you're probably good to go. But I think in that circumstance, you're not good to enter, right? Well, the difference is who has the right to privacy, right? Like if, like whose rights are you technically violating? Yeah. The arrestees in their own home, the argument, and I'm just legally used like, don't people get all grumpy, but if you're going into their home and they're the subject of the warrant, that's less of an argument to be made than if you're going into Tom's house because Johnny with a warrant just happens to be at Tom's house. Like what the fuck did Tom do? Right. Yeah. Um, so it just, it adds that extra layer of analysis that you got to go through. Um, but yeah, I, I found over the years, there've been times where I've been on calls that, higher ups are like we need to get 
a warrant in order to search this car or to search this other thing. I'm like, the fuck you do. You don't need a warrant to search that. But everybody's so risk adverse these days that, you know, they just don't want to mess with it at all. Also, fun side note, if I had a dollar for every time like a sergeant or somebody else got Miranda wrong or when you need to advise somebody with Miranda, and I'm like, uh, no, you don't need to do it in that situation. And they're like, well, you do. And I'm like, all right, well, I've been practicing law for decades, so I'll just go fuck myself. Do what you're going to do. It's yeah. amazing how much stuff people get like latched onto that's not legally accurate, but they think it is and whatever. I guess this is another side quest. We will we'll talk about insurance soon. I know everybody's super excited to talk about insurance, but um, well, it's not your typical insurance discussion. But I've seen memes about it, and and I've seen posts about it, and I, I've I've experienced it too. But guys will latch onto something that some dude told them as fact, and they've never fact checked it. It's like, oh, the old dog told me we can't do this or we can't do this, so I'm gonna do it. But they never like bother to like look up statute or if there's any relevant case law. They're like, "Oh, Johnny said we could do this, so we can do it." That's 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 not really what like the fellow officer you know rule is. Like it doesn't. That's not really what that's about. Um, it I have always kind of found that entertaining. Is dudes will be so fucking wrong on shit because somebody told them something one time like 15 years ago, and it's like, no, dude, that's that's not relevant. Or and, and it, I think the thing that's really hard for law enforcement, which, you know, people will always make the, uh, oh, cops should know the law. And I, I don't disagree with that. Like, you know, cops should know the law. The problem, though, is case law changes so frequently. You're never notified of it. You're never told about it. it it's sometimes it's hard to find if it's uh, something that, you know, doesn't come up all the time. It. I, I feel like that's something departs or departments or maybe even states or maybe even judicial districts could be better on like, you know, sending shit out to officers every so often. Like, hey, this came up in court. This is a no, no. Or, hey, this came up and this is OK. That kind of that, some of that stuff can be tough to follow. And in, in if you don't, you know, really spend your own time following that shit. Well, and I'll say been a licensed attorney for 21 years, been a cop for seven years. It's hard for me to keep track of all that shit. And as a lawyer, what we would do is go, oh, this novel issue came up. I'm going to search all the case law in my jurisdiction that's binding. If I can't find any case law on this issue locally, I'm going to start looking at other state and federal courts for guidance. And then I'm going to put all of that together to argue to a court here whether or not what was done or what I want to do is justified or not justified. But I could spend hundreds of hours digging through all that to figure out. As a cop, you're standing at a door and you've got five seconds to figure out whether you're going in or not. It's just it's such an insane burden to put on people on the street level of it's just it's insane. And it's a completely different world. Now, something else that could be going on with this uh, situation with the Sarge saying no. And I don't know where this dude works. And this actually came up on a meme not too long ago, but I made a meme um, that was relevant. It was kind of making fun of a situation I was in where, you know, I was told to walk away from something when we shouldn't walk away. Maybe that's just it. They're just walking away because they don't want to get in trouble and kind of 
cowardice is kind of a strong word, but cowardice. You know, I, I saw that in Colorado where it was like legal cowardice, cowardice because they, you know, guys were like, well, shit, we're the losses we can't, so we're not going to, or we think the losses we can't, so we're just going to walk away and arrest them later. And I, I would be curious if it was that kind of thing where they're like, well, he's not complying and answering the door, so we'll just try again later and maybe he'll comply later. That kind of shit that fucking goes on now, which is absolutely insane to me. That could be part of it. It's just a misdemeanor. We'll come back and get them some other time when they consent to being arrested. <laughs> oh, my. Fun time. All right. Oh, go ahead, Riley. No, just saying it's funny. You made, I know you made a bit of a quip. I know you like to say we don't respect people's rights. That same scenario <laughs> in Canada. If you, uh, if you walked up, if you had a warrant for John Smith's arrest and you saw him through the window at his own house um, and it was just an arrest warrant, you would have to go and get an entry endorsement on that warrant to be able to kick his door in and go get him. If it was just an arrest warrant without an entry authorization, we call it a Feeney warrant because of case law, you wouldn't be able to go get him. And if you knocked on the door, he answered it and said, hey, John Smith, there's a warrant for your arrest. Are you willing to turn yourself in? And he says, go fuck yourself. You have to disengage if, unless there's exigent circumstances, like immediate threat, threat to life or fresh pursuit. Conversely, if you're at somebody else's house and you're in that house and John Smith's there, you can go, you can grab him because he has no expectation of privacy in that house. But if you have an entry warrant and you, you have to have an entry warrant and have grounds to believe he's in the house before you kick that door. So castle, do like it's cast ca castle doctrine, right? Like your home is your castle. So you guys so don't you, have like the whole threshold thing. Cause we would do like. I don't know what Saul thinks about this, but we would do that shit where like if we had somebody in the threshold, we just latch onto them and then they're coming with us. Or, you know, we do the like, hey, like, could you do this? Like, hey, you mind stepping outside kind of thing? And then yep. you, you're that's fine. You're good to go. Okay. Yeah. Now, I mean, what I would typically do is if I knew a guy had a warrant and there was no entry endorsement, I would go to the end of his driveway and call him on my cell phone and say, hey, I need to Up talk to you about way. something. Yeah. Or, well, it depends on the length. That's what she said. But yeah. I would have him. Hey, um, I would have him um, meet me at the end, I, I like basically at the at the road allowance, and say, "Hey, there's a warrant for your arrest." But uh, I mean, I've also done it where I've parked outside of their house and said, "Hey, there's an arrest warrant for you," and he says, "Go fuck yourself," and you just type up. It's just a brief, extra typing to type out the uh, the affidavit for the uh, for the entry warrant, and you can just send it electronically usually. And then if he tells you to fuck off, you get the entry endorsement, and then you go in and get him. I, I don't want to steal my dad's thunder and I feel like he could have told the story when he was on the podcast but if he did or if he didn't it's worth retelling because it's fucking hilarious he was like I think acting sergeant one day or something and they get intel on this guy having a warrant in an apartment complex but they didn't know what apartment he was in so they set up outside of the apartment complex they call the dude and were like you know, hey, Johnny, just so you know, man, uh, the cops are heading to your apartment right now. You need to get out of there. Didn't say who it was or anything. And they're like, oh, cool. Thanks, man. I'll get out of here. Dude walks out and they fucking hook him up going to his that's, car. That's amazing. Yeah. Fucking classic. All right. I know you guys are, are always, sitting at the. No, go ahead. Go ahead, buddy. I was just going to say always get consent to enter, whether it's dating or anything else. Just always a good idea to have that extra insulation. Mm -hmm. yeah most times um okay you know what we don't need to go any, any more rabbit trails 
or do we? Do we want to go on another rabbit trail? Is it Toby's rabbit? No. It, it, well, okay. So I it, and I just watched this like reel uh, on Instagram, which is again a problem. But it was some some lawyer like rapping to an Eminem song about getting consent, and he was using that. Fuck! What the hell's that Eminem song? It, it, older. Your song. first idea that that lawyer's a fucking hack is if they're on social media rapping oh, yeah. to a song. I know. Yeah. But he it was something about a Texas consent law, and what I got from that Texas consent law is if uh, a chick is drunk then you can't have sex with her because you can't give consent, which I understand, like, if somebody's fucking passed out, you can't go to fucking pound town. Like, that's not consent. But, like, if you both been having a couple beers, I feel like you can give consent being, like, buzzed or even drunk, not passed out, though. That seems a little wild to me. I And this is a tangent we don't need to go on, but I've handled quite a few cases where drunk female consents to drunk male wakes up the next day and regrets it and all of a sudden drunk male is facing life sentence charges no bullshit probably handled 12 to 20 of those that is uh that's not good anyway um yeah i just i i feel like there's a south park episode about that where like the bros were asking for consent before they had sex but i i definitely make sure um every time i have sex with people, my wife that i ask if it's okay people, for entry yeah keep a waiver on the bedpost yeah. you also just fun fact for everybody out there if they consent to vaginal sex and then you decide just to switch up to anal during sex and they didn't specifically consent to that you could also be charged with a sex offense the more you know okay the more you know all right, insurance talk. We've moved past below jobs, FTO, Confederate flags, and now consent to insurance talk. Um, this is going to crush some people's hearts. Um, this was also something that came up in the group chat. Uh, and, and this was a Tony thing, and he brought it up on a podcast where he, he was talking about – did he bring it up in a podcast where he's talking about maybe going uh, to be an accident investigator, so maybe that could parlay into uh, – a job with an insurance company in the future. He'd mentioned that in the, uh, I think in a podcast, but at least in the group chat. And I had he heard did. the same thing. Yeah, he did. And Riley and I also had a little back and forth in our private chat about that. Okay. So I, I was kind of under that same impression that uh, pizza Tony was in because I, I knew a dude uh, that I really respected that ended up going to another agency because my agency was fucking dog shit. He actually, dude, this dude um, was maybe a year, maybe a year or two ahead of me as far as seniority. Really great guy. Um, became an accident investigator. Did that for a while. Went to Motors, I think, for a little bit. Promoted to sergeant. And our agency was so bad. He's like, fuck it. I will go be a fucking officer somewhere else because this place is fucking terrible. And... But he was telling me part of the reason he wanted to get into traffic and why he liked it was because insurance companies like that and will hire cops, you know, for whatever they do as far as uh, litigation, they will hire guys that were accident investigators. He's like, yeah, traffic's great for that. You're almost guaranteed. I don't know if he said you're almost guaranteed a job, but like the way it was printed sent it to me was that is why a lot of people get onto the traffic unit is because they want to work for insurance companies down the road in the private sector. And 
I just thought that was a thing. Like kind of like I was talking about a few minutes ago where like old Johnny tells you something and you're like, oh, fuck, yeah, that's Johnny said it. So that's the way it is. And then Saul um, crushed little pizza Tony's little micro heart um, based on his experiences. So you want to talk to the millions about the truth? I stomped all over pizza Tony's micro penis. I said micro heart, but go on. Okay. Um, and I don't know, Riley and I had gone back and forth a little bit because I think he had the same experience or talked to somebody with regard to certifications, um, in Canada and the impression of like what that would parlay to in the private sector. Do you want to touch on that, Riley? It might give a little more context to the dream crushing I'm about to do. Well, are we speaking like, and I mean, I, I have friends that are in like the traffic world. I'm not a traffic guy really. Um, and, but there is, uh, specifically with traffic collisions, there's like different levels of certification. And I have a friend that's, uh, he's certified with some, some third party body that's like, it's active in Canada and the States. And my understanding was, is it's a really difficult exam to pass, but that if you had this certification and had current knowledge of, of that level of like accident reconstruction, that it is valuable, not necessarily to insurance companies, but for like private consulting, being expert witnesses, especially if you've been able to test it. Like, I don't know if it's the same in court in the US, but like there's certain criteria to be designated an expert in court and be able to give opinion evidence. And if you have this certification, it's much more likely that you will be designated an expert in court and be able to give opinion evidence. And if you have that ability and that in your pedigree, then you would be more attractive to the private sector as a consultant or as a, as, as a expert witness or whatever. But I think generally speaking, I, I know a couple of people who have gotten very lucrative jobs in the private sector, but most of those people were highly, highly, highly specialized within the police world, whether they were like SWAT operators with specific courses and specific um knowledge and skills that not everybody would have even with their own specializations whether it's traffic whether it's SWAT whether it's um other highly specialized units and so I'm not saying you have to be you know some specialty guy but 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 generally speaking if you want to have that lucrative job it's it may not be as attainable as people think and the pool is is pretty small when you get to people who are at that level does that does that follow kind of what we were talking about or very much, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's there's a few things I want to touch on for everybody because I've seen professionally over my career, and it's happened to me where in several different roles I've seen in government work where people think the civil private world is extremely lucrative and you can step out and do all these amazing things with your police or other government experience and that it's just going to be this great wonderful thing and it's just not so the wet blanket i'm throwing on this is just so everybody can kind of go into it with eyes wide open and know what you're doing and why so just little background wise i was a public defender for eight and a half years i for several reasons decided i was done with that world and was going to transition into the private sector, but I realized that I needed to get civil litigation experience on top of what I had done criminally because it's a little bit of a different world. 
So I transitioned straight from the public defender to doing in-house litigation counsel for a major nationwide insurance company that has a whole lot of ads on TV and everything else. It was one of the biggest ones. To say that that was an incredibly eye-opening experience would be an understatement. I went from, let's just put it this way, insurance companies are the cheapest organizations on the planet. Hands down, by far, um, shockingly way cheaper than the public defender's office was. And I don't know if that's a surprise to either of you. It was a fucking shock to me. That's I transitioned, to, I transitioned to civil litigation from doing public defender work in 2010. And at that point, I had flat screen monitors, multiple monitors at the public defender's office. We had email to our phones. And granted, iPhones only came out like three years before that, but we were pretty tech savvy there. In 2010, when I went to a large insurance company's litigation department, we still had the fucking bubble screens with like green type on them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. The DOS stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was ages behind. And if you were trying to squeeze a dime out of those fuckers, good luck. So it was great experience as far as I got into court a lot trying civil cases, but it was a just soul wrenching, heart sucking place to work. Um, so and then after I did that for a few years, got some experience, I transitioned to my firm where I was hired privately by insurance companies, but I did not, I was not an employee of them, if that makes sense. So I've got over 13 years of either working within or directly for insurance companies and dealing with every level of that up to national level management. So that's where kind of my opinions in this area come from. If you like doing traffic work and that interests you, by all means, pursue that and do it. I just don't want people saying, I'm going to become a level three accident investigator and then I'm going to go into the private sector and I'm going to kill it because it's not necessarily the case. If you can make it work for you, great, but that's not by any chance a gimme. And I feel like the problem that I have in just the where I want everybody to pump the brakes is I feel like a lot of these licensing associations overhype and oversell the shit about what they can deliver to you and it's just not the case so just go into it with your eyes open does that make sense to everybody yes okay so here's the problem and what i have with accident reconstructionists so i have used in hundreds of cases accident reconstructionists i, I have deposed a ton of police or troopers who are level three, which is the highest accreditation you can get in the area I'm in, um, who investigate accidents. And I handled a lot of fatality accidents or where we would end up doing depositions a lot for those are huge semi-truck fatality accidents. That's usually where, you know, you're dealing with seven plus figures of damages and everybody's going to expert up. So the problem is, in a courtroom, if you are, and please forgive me for saying this, but if you are just a police officer who's gone to the several layers of accident reconstruction school, you know how to plug in the formulas to the program you get and you can figure this shit out. Great. 
On the defense side, do you know what I'm going to hire? The market is flooded with people who have master's degrees in engineering. We would even hire some people who are PhDs. We would hire accident reconstructionists who are also biomechanical experts and uh, medical doctors all wrapped into one. Um, it is a, a incredibly flooded market with a lot of competition and you're going against people who have master's degrees and doctorates in multiple disciplines. So the example I always use is if I had, I needed a biomechanical expert uh, on a lawsuit. So typically what you have to do is you have to have somebody who can do an accident reconstruction. Then you need a separate accident or separate expert based on that reconstruction who can testify as to what the impact of those forces from the accident itself did to the body. And then you need a third expert from there to say what those impacts on the body mean medically. So I'm tens of thousands of dollars into experts to go through that train. I need three experts to get me from force of the impact to what injury occurred at the end. Is everybody following me? Yep. Yep. Okay. So when we're throwing money at those, if I'm doing work for an insurance company, I've got to submit a request to hire an expert. I have to attach their CV. I have to attach how many times they testified, um, how many articles they published, their educational background, Everything like that. I will tell you straight up that it is hard to get people approved through insurance companies to get hired who don't at least have an engineering degree. And typically they would prefer a master's or even people with doctorates and they're out there to hire. We would fly somebody in from Texas all the time to have them work on cases. So you're not just dealing locally with experts. You're dealing nationally, depending on the size of the case, with who they're going to hire. Um Lawyers, I hate to say it, insane pedigree snobs. So, for instance, I've deposed people and troopers who have every accreditation you can possibly get on the civil side. And as the asshole lawyer, what I do is, okay, you have all these accreditations. Okay, that's great. What's the highest level in school you've completed? Oh, well, I took all these courses, blah, blah, blah. I said, that's great. What's the highest level diploma you received? High school. Okay, awesome. What is the last physics class? I'm not talking about your accident construction class. What is the last actual physics class that you have taken? Uh, I haven't taken physics since high school. Cool. My, has, my guy has a master's degree and is a mechanical engineer certified from a highly regarded technical school. Like, I don't give a fuck what your opinion is. My guy's going to win that fight in the court. That's what you are up against in the litigation world. Um, and it sounds snotty, but usually unless somebody had at least an engineering degree and usually they'd want a master's or above, I wasn't even allowed to hire you. So that's kind of the expert side of it is really intense on whether or not you have degrees to back up what you're doing or i hate to say it for lack of a better way of putting it if you're just a monkey who knows some fancy terms and is plugging stuff into a program that you learned about in your cop course and it's spitting out numbers if you don't have the underlying basis and pedigree to be able to analyze those and tell whether they're accurate or correct or what the deviations or problems with that are I am going to absolutely destroy you on the stand. And then I'm going to put somebody up on the stand 
to go against you who has a better pedigree than you do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, it makes complete sense. And I can, uh, this podcast won't be out for a few weeks, but I can already feel the heart sinking. You just crushed yeah, hopes I mean, and dreams. If you have police certifications and a high school diploma, I'm sorry. I'm going to hire a PhD to absolutely shit on everything that you've done. And I'm going to do it nicely and respectfully, but, you know, we're fighting over a lot of money. I, You think an insurance company in a multi-million dollar lawsuit is going to balk at giving me $30,000 to hire an expert to absolutely rip apart everything you've ever done and everything in your CV or resume? Like, I'm going to get that without breaking a sweat. So that's where being on the expert side gets a little bit dicey. And there's a lot of those guys, I want to be very clear. If you want to do it, knock yourself out. Again, just have open eyes. There are a lot of people with master's degrees in engineering who are licensed engineers in multiple states who were begging for our work and to hire them because the competition is so high to get hired. Like they would kiss our asses. They would send us fruit baskets, like whatever they needed to do to get us to hire them because there's so many firms that do it in competition. But if you're coming out of the police world, that's what you're going against. You're going against licensed engineers. The guy I would use all the time was a licensed engineer, I think in six different states. That's who I'm hiring. So that's why on the expert side, I just caution people a little bit. Yeah, it can get a little bit dicey. But if you don't have a pedigree in the education, that's what courts care. You might get qualified as an expert. It doesn't take a whole lot to get somebody qualified as an expert. That's great. I'm going to get somebody who can double your qualifications and I'm going to shove it up your ass. Um, did I belabor that point too much? No, I think uh, you want to shove things up people's asses. You got that point across very I well. I really do. I'm into legal pegging. So that's... <laughs> Name of the podcast right there, legal pegging. <laughs> legal pegging. <laughs> and I'm not saying, like, there are people... Like, there are people, and like, as Riley's saying, there are niches, I don't know if it's niche or niche, that you can carve out for yourself where some people are extremely likely and or lucky and can do very well for themselves. I'm just saying that's not a majority of the people, and you need to understand that if you're banking on that as your retirement gig. So that's the expert witness side of it. Now, if you want to get all those accreditations and go work for an insurance company, also a perfectly fine thing to do. I will tell you that working in-house for an insurance company, it is the most cost per file. I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. So I used to work with a retired police officer who went to law school and we worked together in litigation. And then he rose in the ranks of supervision. Um, I would have rather swallowed a pistol than been a supervisor in insurance litigation. So he had to go to a retreat for leadership within insurance companies. And I used to do work for several insurance companies and they're all like this. He goes to a retreat for leadership for litigation and insurance companies. And do you know how often in a four-day training conference quality of work came up? Zero times. 
Amazing. quality of work never came up once. You know what was talked about for four days straight? Cost per file. That's all they give a shit about. It is a 100% business-driven model where all they care about is the average cost per file that's being handled. Um, I've talked and taught insurance companies on a local level. I've also gone to national ins- national headquarters of insurance companies to teach programs for them there. That is the literal only thing they give a shit about. So if you are a multiple-level um, insurance or a multiple level accredited accident reconstructionist and you go in and work for an insurance company, you're probably going to be an adjuster, which means either a, you're going to go out and just look at the vehicles to see if the accident and stuff on that makes sense as to what happened and who was at fault. And then you're going to type that up and pass it along and go on to the next one. That's a likely role you're going to have. It's not a lucrative role. Or if you work up to being like a litigation adjuster, that background comes in handy because you have a broad approach or look at things. But also, you're going to be handling claim files with personal injury lawyers that you see on TV. That's what you're going to end up doing. Uh, You can make decent money doing it. It's decent money compared to a lot of cop salaries, but it's certainly not going to make you rich. I can tell you what they used to pay lawyers in litigation, and it would make you throw up. Um. I made the same thing doing civil litigation for them after eight and a half years of spending time in a courtroom and trying numerous life sentence cases. I transitioned over to civil just to get the experience and I made the same money I made at the public defender's office as a licensed fucking attorney. They are not going to pay you. They are not going to overpay you. Uh, You think steps that you get within government work of what you're eligible for promotion every year are tight. Wait till you deal with an insurance company who's going to squeeze every fucking dollar they can. Um, I could spend just days talking about all the shit they used to pull. Like, for instance, they would give us company cars, right? And they paid for the gas in the company cars. And they were always pushing for us to use those company cars in our private lives and we found out the reason why they were doing it is they got a tax break at the end of the year because they would take the amount of gas you use in your personal car turn it into salary as a benefit to you and then tax the shit out of you at the end of the year for how much gas you used and that's why they were pushing you to do it because they could get it off their books and onto yours And so sometimes people at the end of the year, their check would be a third of what it normally was because all those taxes would come out. I watched insurance companies take loyal, valuable employees who had done everything for them for 30 years and say, okay, well, you can either take a demotion or retire out because we're not funding your position anymore and we're getting rid of it. And these are people that like bled the insurance company's colors for 30 years. I used to always say in litigation, if they could replace us with a monkey and save five bucks, they wouldn't even bat an eye and they'd replace you with a monkey. If they could come up with a computer program to do your job, you'd be out five minutes later. Um, It's just not a pleasant place to work. And it's a lot of structure and bullshit and moving parts. And if you think attrition is high in police world, insurance companies are worse. Um, so that's just kind of my 
take on it, you could get a position. You could be doing insurance adjusting. You could probably get some sort of specialized work going around. Um, you know, so here's here's how it would normally happen. Does everything I'm saying make sense so far? Or am I just rambling? I don't want to be the ramble guy. Bukaki semen did her in the ass. <laughs> oh no, it's it's all making sense. Um, so so I, I was going to say that it was. It, it sounds very similar to a police department. It's extremely similar, but cheaper. And you don't have the same protections you have in doing government work. So if they want to just absolutely bend you over and fuck you up the ass, they're going to do it and not even think twice about it. So you also have to think about the life that you're going to have. So I'll give you an example. There's one expert that I used to use all the time. So how this would pop up is this. I would get a call from an insurance company saying, Hey, Saul, we have a multi-semi-truck accident that occurred in Nebraska. We have, you know, our vehicle fatality injury. We need you to go out and start the investigation by looking at all these vehicles to determine if there's any mechanical issues or anything else that are going to be a problem for us in litigation. Lawyer Saul will then call the expert that I use all the time, who has a master's degree in engineering and had done worked in the auto crash testing department of Ford in Detroit for like a decade before even getting this job. We would go out and he would literally be crawling under every single semi in the lot where they were taken to. It would be me, my expert. All the other lawyers for all the other insurance companies, if any of the people who were killed or injured had their lawyers, all of them would be there with all of their experts. And we would all sit in this yard and spend hours or days as long as it took with the experts crawling under trucks, measuring brakes, measuring, um, you know, checking air, hose lines, maintenance on the vehicles, anything out of order. We would sit there and go through all of that shit. But you always had to be available on a dime to go. So the expert that I would hire all the time, he would literally be away from home. I would conservatively say three out of four weeks a year, that dude was on a plane in another state. Often with little to no notice. It's we need you. We just had a multiple fatality accident in Idaho. We need you there tomorrow. And you're jumping on a plane. Um, so if you can even get to that level where you're doing that stuff, uh, you can be floating around a lot. But that's more on the private expert side than in-house. In-house, you're largely going to be an adjuster or somebody kind of doing in-house investigation. But they just don't use people in that role a whole lot. Like occasionally, it's the same thing as, right, like we had the insurance company I did litigation for got the bright idea to hire somebody who was a nurse and they decided they were going to have her review all the medical records on all these cases to see if the medical expenses were valid. And they experimented with that for like six months and then decided it wasn't working and let her go. Um, it's just not really a world where they're going to bring somebody in to do that role when they can just hire it outside. And it's frankly cheaper. That's probably the most boring thing ever. I haven't drank for a few days. So that was my drunken rant on insurance company. I would never would have thought that, that working no, for an insurance company was this fraud. I never would have thought that working for an insurance company <laughs> 
was as frustrating as filing a claim because like nobody ever wants to file a claim even though they pay their insurance every fucking month but when you file a claim what happens your premiums go up right so it's like everybody has insurance because it's the law you need to have insurance but nobody ever wants to use it or they're afraid to but I'm not like obviously this is all new information to me but none of it is all that surprising because of stuff like that so the funny thing is I literally I remember the first week that I was doing in-house litigation for this insurance company I had had that insurance company since I was 16 years old since I started driving I had them as my insurance carrier all the way up through um, finishing high school, college, law school, public defender, and then working for that insurance company. So a long period of time. The first week I was taken to visit a claims manager and get introduced as one of the new litigation attorneys. And I remember standing in this dude's office and he said on the side, oh, well, whatever, if this new thing passes or whatever happens, we're just going to increase premiums and raise the cost of to the insureds, it's not going to be a big deal. And I was like, um, I'm one of those people go fuck yourself. I worked for that company after having them for almost two decades. I went home the next day and switched insurance companies. I didn't even have the insurance for the company I worked for. Yeah. Not surprising based on what you're telling me. We used to yeah, always do this thing. I, I don't know if anybody else has been through this, but like you do the carousel, right? You're a loyal customer. You file no claims and your fucking rates go up and then they go up enough where you're like, all right, I'm going to switch companies and they'd beat the other guy's price. And then, you know, after six months, like, well, now they're the more expensive one. So I'm going to switch back to this other company. I don't, I don't know if anybody else has experienced that. I Now that I'm a little older, my insurance doesn't seem to fluctuate as much as it used to when I was younger, but I I don't know if anybody else has noticed that. It's like the cell phone plan thing. Like there's all these perks to lure you into a new carrier. And then you never, if you've been with the same telco for like however long, like you'd never get those perks and you never get access to these new Gucci plans that you get more for less money. And so then you have to, you know, do this thing where you call in, oh, I'm going to change to this other carrier. And then they send you to customer retention or whatever, and you get this, you know, this uh, teaser plan to keep you on as a loyal customer. Well, why do we have to go through this whole song and dance to, you know, fake threaten to leave the company or switch carriers or switch insurance? Like there should, there's no reward at all whatsoever for being a loyal customer, like at all. There's my old man yelling at Cloud Rant. Well, that's like the same thing as like cable. I haven't had cable in years, but occasionally that would happen. You'd call them up. And you couldn't just fucking cancel. You'd be on the phone for like two hours before and you'd be like, look, I don't want to go to retention. I don't want the fucking service anymore. And oh, that rem- oh, fucking Comcast. I I don't know. It's it's funny. <laughs> it's like everybody has done the thing where nobody has cable anymore, but we all pay for it with all the fucking streaming services we have. Remember when Netflix was like seven bucks a month? And yeah, that, that was, was the only the- streaming service? Those were the days. Those were the days. Yeah, I refuse to sign up for any additional streaming services. Like, I hate that if I want to watch a show, I've got to sign up for yet another fucking streaming service. Well, I'm going to have that struggle when it comes to Super Bowl time because if I want, I have the NFL Plus or whatever, so I can watch it on my phone. 
I don't really want to watch the Super Bowl on my phone, so I'm going to have to fucking sign up for something so I can watch the fucking Super Bowl. Fuckers. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Oh, I forgot about the extra layer. Sorry. So everybody thinks brass at in uh, at police departments is bad, even if you're in a big agency. If you go work for an insurance company, you're dealing with quote unquote brass that's 1500 miles away and making idiotic decisions because we would have the entire policy for the entire country change based on what somebody fucked up in California that would result in a new mandate and new paperwork for every other lawyer or adjuster or anybody investigating or handling accidents in the entire country based on one fuck up that a guy had in California that would result in five more TPS reports that you had to generate on any given case. Or they would come up with some asinine thing because new guy got hired into a regional manager position and he's got to make his mark. So he would change policy that everybody in the trenches knew was going to fuck everything up and not work. But he would institute it and then you'd spend three years unfucking what this idiot fucked that everybody knew was going to be fucked. It's just it's the same thing that you deal with in departments, but on a much bigger scale and a much cheaper scale. You are a thousand percent of fungible good. They will let you go in three minutes and not give a fuck. And that's coming from a guy uh, that they like. We liked. have sort of a problem here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a thousand percent. If you watch Office Space and think you want to blow your brains out, don't go work for an insurance company. But I had friends who even yeah. went to insurance companies. Yeah. And thought they could parlay their experience within an insurance company to being an expert on the outside. And it was a very rude awakening for them. And everybody I know who did that has gone back to traditional roles in insurance companies because they couldn't make it work. So what? We're all screwed. That's what. Yes. I'm a Michael. So I would say (laughs) (laughs) if you actually enjoy accident reconstruction and that's what you love doing. Go for it. If you think it's a pathway to make millions of dollars, fucking pump the brakes. I guess that's the end of my rant. Sorry. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You know, that sound clip reminds me. Uh, all right. I, I don't want to uh, be the wet blanket, as I'll put it before, but. You know, there's this uh, there's this thing that I see, and I've I've probably even said it. I know I've said it. Where, hey, if it doesn't work out being a cop, like you've acquired skills to go do other stuff. And I thought one of them was working for insurance companies, which we're learning maybe maybe not, probably not. Um, but I always see that one people skills. Like, hey, you fuck it, you know how to people like deal with people. Like people are looking for that. And my question, like especially for that one is okay well what job is that what job is that just dealing with people because i feel like a lot of those jobs with those people skills you know you're talking about like a psychiatrist or a shrink or something like that i i don't know i'm not saying that things aren't transferable um you know from law enforcement to other things but i i think sometimes maybe it gets a little sugar coated 
and and maybe you know we've had guys on that have, you know they're going and doing other things you know with their life but i i think like transitioning to law enforcement to just something else is a little more difficult than people may let on i mean you got like the whole fucking you know calvary of lawyer or not lawyers but of uh of realtors you know a lot of cops get into real estate which i think could be you know a good job you know you could you could sell things to people i, I think if you're a good cop you could be a good salesman i mean i suppose there's some of that too but i i don't think it's quite as easy a transition as everybody makes it out to be and you're competing against every single other person who's doing the same thing i guess that's just where you know, I've had people promise me things like, oh, if you leave the position you're in, we're going to give you all this work and you're going to be able to do all this stuff. And I've had people promise that to employees of mine when they're trying to get them away. And I always caution people the same thing that's in the private sector, you need to realize that you need to produce. And if you can't produce, you're going to be gone. And if other people that you're working for can hang on to lucrative or important clients do you think they're going to give them to you and the answer to that is unequivocally no and most of the time people are promised shit when you go out into that world in order to try to scrape by you're taking the cases or getting hired in the places that nobody else wants and it's just the way it fucking is. This is Michael Bolton. <laughs> I love that movie. I haven't watched yeah. it in a while. That's a that's a great movie. I think tomorrow's gonna be a snow day, so maybe I'll make my kids watch Office Space. I don't know. Um, Why should I change my name? He's the one that sucks. That sucks. That may be one of the like underrated movie lines of all time. Yeah, that movie's fucking great. Fucking a. On that note. Oh, God, that should be one I download. Fucking A. On that note, uh, boys, they, thems, Frost. What are you guys, Frostbacks? You guys have any final thoughts? Riley, you've been you've been silent for a while due to Saul's uh, rantings. Do you have any final thoughts? Anything you'd well, like to get off your Canadian chest? I wanted to get him a good, good platform because he's got a lot more to say about this than I do, but... I think the I think the take home message is if you want to have a life after law enforcement, if you want to have something to go to that's lucrative in the private sector, and this is gonna sound maybe a bit elitist, but you better make sure that you're the guy. You have certifications and you have knowledge and you have something to offer that nobody else can. And maybe it's not with an insurance company, maybe it's security consulting or something to do with like, you know, teaching shooting or something to do with what's something that we do and we're exposed to and that you're comfortable with that, that you're going to be able to be the only guy applying for that job that can speak with any confidence or knowledge on that specific thing. And if you're willing to put the work and the effort into getting that kind of a job, then you're the type of person who's going to apply the equal amount of effort into getting that lucrative job after policing. And those are the skills you're going to care that those, that ability to like focus and get that, level of expertise is the same sort of drive that's going to get you that job that's kind of all I, I can add to that Solly 
I completely agree with all that. And if that's something that's a love or passion of yours, I would never tell somebody not to pursue it. But at the end of the day in a courtroom, you can have every police certification that you can get under the sun. But if I can hire everybody, somebody who has all those same certifications, but a master's degree in engineering, as far as getting your opinions in front of a jury, I'm going with the dude who has a master's degree and is a licensed engineer every single day of the week, twice on Sunday. And the insurance company who's paying me to hire you will punch me in the face if I don't do that. So just go in with your eyes open. And I could not agree more with Riley and sorry if that crushes dreams, but hopefully I'm saving a little bit of heartache. America. America. Uh, so with that said, you guys know what to do. Take care of the fine sponsors of the podcast because without them, I would not have a job because I am not the guy. I'm not the expert in fucking anything. I am fucking worthless. And, uh, you know, real quick, real quick, I, I was thinking about, you know, the life after law enforcement thing. Um, I, I, I just want to get this out is, uh, related to life and everything is, uh, do the shit you want to do. Cause you never know if you're going to get run over by a Mack truck or if you're going to fucking die in your sleep or whatever the fuck's going to happen. Do what the fuck you want to do. Take advantage of your life. Cause you got a short one, uh, whether that's post retirement or retire, I, just fucking retire. Don't, you know, fucking do what you want to do. Don't sit and watch TV all day because you will you will fucking rot yourself and die. But do something in retirement. But do the things you want to do and work towards the things you're, you want to do. Don't, who fucking cares about anybody else? I mean, take care of your kids. I'm not saying don't take care of your kids, but you guys know what I'm saying. Like, just fucking live the life to its fullest. I know it's kind of cliche if I said that right. With that said, remember. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. And I love most of you. Bye-bye.